Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, where it's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Great to have you with us on a Friday Eve morning, a.k.a. a Thursday morning. Brooke Grimsley, Dan McLaughlin, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. How are we doing, kids? Oh, we're doing great. Long it's, night it's watching the blues. Foggy. Long but worthwhile. Oh, boy, oh, was it ever. Doctor. Oh, yes, sir. Baby. Uh, we were going to have Robert Thomas on the show, but then he figured out, oh, I'm on the West Coast and it's really, really early. And I was up really, really late. So Robert Thomas will join us tomorrow for his weekly visit here on the program. But we are going to talk to Greg Amzinger, who's on the other coast. It'll be 8.30 his time when we talk to him. 7.30 our time. We're going to talk to Bernie Federico. Actually, Joey V sitting in for Bernie on the Bally's uh, telecasts mm-hmm. this week. So uh, we'll talk to Bernie. I'm sure he's excited and uh, a lot going on in uh, in sports that we're going to talk about with you here on 101 ESPN. And last night, the Blues did take on the team with the most points in the National Hockey League. The Vancouver Canucks, Van Blanking Coover, and the Blues made it exciting. 13-14 into the game. Jake Nabors scoring his 15th of the year. Thomas in the middle. Shoot! Score! Jake Nabors finds... The back of the net on a great feed from Robert Thomas. 6.46 to go in the first period. one nothing Blues. Guys, is Jake Neighbors going to be a star? I think that you can go ahead and say that. I, I feel like he's at least a young rising star. I'm really excited think, about Jake Neighbors. This game had his fingerprints yeah. all over it. You made the comp the other day, other day to Jaden Schwartz. I think mm-hmm. that's legit. I think he could be a Jaden Schwartz type player. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think he's a major part of the retool. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's going to be a star, but man, he's only 21 years old. He's getting better and better. Mm-hmm. Goal and assist in that first period where the Blues uh, were able to set the tone and withstand the Canucks' initial onslaught because you knew you were going to get that in a back-to-back mm-hmm. and they were able to do that in the first period. Before the first period was out, Bucci scored his 14th on the power play. 2-0 in favor of the Blues. 2-0 in favor of the Blues after. But we go to the third Pius Suter scoring just one minute in to make it a 2-1 game. But the Blues gave themselves some insurance thanks to Toro. Blues in the offensive zone. Leading 2-1. Kevin Hayes off the near wing to the corner. Back is the Torapchenko. He scores! Alexi Torapchenko went to the front of the net. Hayes found him. 3-1 Blues. 18-19 to go. Third period. And that proved to be a necessary goal because Suter scored at 542. Then he scored at the 1908 mark and sent the game to overtime. And in overtime, the all of a sudden red hot Schenner tallied. Shen then takes it over the line. Kuzmenko stripped it on him. Here comes Patterson. 
Into the blue zone on Letty. Then Shen knocked it away. Letty's going to get it back. Skated ahead. Two on one with Shen. Letty in. Looking. Letty running out of room. Pedersen falls down in front of the net. Blues get it to Shen. He scores! The St. Louis Blues win! Bring out the Zamboni! The captain buries the game winner for the Blues! 4-3 the final tonight in Vancouver! Cam Jansen was the woo guy. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to say, I said, for everybody wondering, that was Cam Jansen yeah. who did the woo. <laughs> and with the 4-3 overtime victory, the Blues move within a point of Nicheville for the final wild card spot in the NHL's Western Conference. And uh, the Blues have a game in hand. Blues have played 46, Nicheville's played 47. And by the way, the Kings have only played 45, and they're three points ahead of the Blues, also in the wild card hunt. But so far, so good for the Blues on this trip. They play at Seattle tomorrow night. Well, especially in the back-to-backs, the fact that they were able to do that against a, we all know, a very good Van Blankencouver team. Mm -hmm. And also, they were able to get over that elusive four games over 500. That's the first time they've been able to do that since April 19th, 2022. Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? That it is. It's been that long. The Blues' first shot on goal was until 9.08 of mm-hmm. the first yeah. period. So they did withstand. I, I thought it was just going to be an onslaught by Vancouver. And for the most part, it was. They withstood that. Going back to Braden Shen. Remember we talked about against Carolina, he had the shootout goal. We mm-hmm. wondered, well, is this kind of a jumping point for him? Since then, eight games, four goals, four assists. The other part I wanted to bring up, Randy, you talked about Pareko and block shots. Mm-hmm. Colton Pareko, the the Blues total had 23 block shots last night. He had six of them. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's playing at a high level. He played over 26 minutes, nearly 27 last night. That was after playing 25 minutes the night before. So he's playing at a great level right now for the Blues. Remember the old NFL Combine Tom Brady pictures? If we had one of those of Colton yes. Pareko right now, how bruised up would he be? Oh. Where it morphs into what you see now, <laughs> yeah. like that guy that got to the Blues yeah. and what he looks like yeah. now. It's it's incredible, yeah. man. And that's Here's... what you want to see. You want to see guys sacrificing yeah. their body. And that's what worked out for him so well. Robert Thomas was right behind him with four block mm-hmm. shots and that just shows guys willing to sacrifice for each other in this game here is Shenner on that game winner just going to the net and um you know pushed off him and whether well, it was a cross check or you know is what it is and I thought he I feel like I didn't push him that hard. I maybe could have had a penalty, could have went either way. And, and uh, um, Francis Saint Laurent gave me the benefit of the doubt on that, and I was able to be in the shot. Appreciate the honesty. Good play by Letty, by the way. <laughs> it was. Could have been a he made a hell of a play. Yeah. Letty's play in that that goal should not be overlooked. That was huge for yeah. the Blues. Yeah. Huge. Uh, basketball last night over at Chaffetz Arena, a devastating loss for St. Louis University. They were up by three at halftime. And wound up losing by 23, 84 to 61. They were outscored 56 to 30 in the second half. And man, you talk about just a complete deconstruction by Davidson of the Billikens. It happened. It was bad. And then I was following Stu Durando on Twitter last night, or X, and they were waiting for the post-game conference to happen, and they were waiting and waiting. He was giving time updates, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, this doesn't sound good. And then when they eventually came out there, it was a conversation about they had a team meeting. When you guys hear team meeting, which is always important, right, but when you hear that, especially after a game of performance like that, you usually get a little bit concerned, right? I would. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that he's looking at is, you know, what's the identity? What what kind of team do we want to be? And we still got a ways to go here, folks. We, we mm-hmm. got more games coming up that we can't sit here and just wait around and get our butts kicked every single night. They gave up 84 points. That was the lowest scoring team in the A-10. They're now 8-11 and 11 overall. They have one win in the conference. They're 1-5. Travis is a defensive-minded coach. Randy, you mentioned it, 56 points allowed in the second half. And I got to look at, you know, what kind of tra- what kind of adjustments are being made in the second half of games? That falls on coaching. That falls on your staff. And if I'm Chris May, that's one of the things when I go in and talk to Travis, I say, what happened in the second half? What What is going on here coming out of timeouts? What's happening in adjustments in the second half of games? Those are the answers that I want to hear as I move forward in this season. And it wasn't like... Davidson came out and was just raining threes all night either. That's that's the troubling part is there were so many easy layups. It, it th- They were almost undefended. It was almost like Davidson was playing against air. And Billikens missed their first 12 three-pointers. Yeah, that was I mean, this brutal. is a team that's got to knock those down if they have a chance to win. So really disappointing. It's been a disappointing season and still a long ways to go before this one is through. What can they even do now to make a change? Well, uh, th- th- you waited out. I don't Everybody said before the season, I don't know. Everybody close to the program said, I don't know how we're going to be. Even people inside the program said, I don't know how we're going to be. Well, it's turned out to be not very good. And they they have one high school player signed for next season. One. Uh, so they obviously, if you're going to build a program, you need to have more than one high school player signed for next season. And then you, you have time to get players. But Matthew is close to the program. Uh, you're the best guy to answer this question. What can you do to fix it? I mean, you're not going to fix it this year. It's just no the the veterans aren't going to take a take a sizable step from their level, and the young players, while they're improving, they're not. You know, this isn't going to be a marketably different team come March. And in fact, you just lost a player in Tim Dogger who was giving you good minutes, and so you, the, everything just got a little bit more thin. And, and a team that really needed to rely on playing nine to ten deep to kind of outlast teams and win games late. And so, I need to make a quick point here because we have a tendency just to say, oh, it's Travis Ford, right? But in this day and age in college basketball, we don't know what the level of commitment is on the part of the administration in terms of getting players here with NIL, doing what you can from a grade perspective. And the, the, the Billikens have done a really good job of getting players into school. But they're playing in a different league now. Everybody's playing in a different league in the NIL world. And I just don't know in terms of the administration and the the big money supporters what the level of support is. My point being, if you replace Travis Ford, is it going to get any better if you aren't getting good enough players? So that's legit question. That's legit looking at uh, NIL. Every school is looking at that. I also think it's legitimate, though, if I'm Chris May and I wake up this morning, I'm saying, now, wait a minute. 56 points allowed in the second half. That has nothing to do with NIL. No. And that was a, a team that you should beat. It's a lowest scoring team in the A-10, and you were leading at the half. Right, right. So what's happening now inside that coaching staff and inside that locker room? Yeah, no doubt about it. And then when you have the team meeting, that adds to that speculation yeah. even more. Right. And to, to, to Danny's point, I, the starkest stat, again, they, Davidson scored 28 in the first half. And then they outscored SLU by 26 in the second half alone. Yeah, 50, 20, what, 28 to 56, they doubled up their first half output. What, in the second what half. happened? I don't know how a team scores 66% of their points in the second half after after what they did in the yeah. first. I don't understand what happens at halftime in, in the respective locker rooms for that kind of diametric swing. So Davidson beats SLU 84 61. It'll be a bad day for Kerry Davis, the 10th ranked Illini, losing to 
Northwestern, 96 to 91. Northwestern beats the Illini in overtime. And uh, we got word last night during the Billiken game that Jim Harbaugh had accepted the coaching job with the Los Angeles Chargers of uh, what's what's the name of the city that they're in? It starts with an I. Inglewood? Inglewood. There you are, the Los Angeles Chargers of Inglewood. <laughs> Every once in a while, though, I still call them the San Diego Chargers. Oh, it just, it's really hard to remember that. But we're not surprised that this happened, right? No. It's uh, it, it's a great move on the part of the, the Chargers. I'm kind of shocked that they went to – and they had to go to this extent. If you have the stadium – you're basically printing free money, but they've got a magnificent facility that's going to open up in the spring, multi-million dollar facility, and you've got the franchise quarterback. You have to take advantage of having Justin Herbert on your roster, and the best way to do that is to get Jim Harbaugh through the door, 44 and 19 with the Chargers, and went to the NFC champion or with the 49ers in the early part of the last decade. Uh, went to the NFC Championship game three out of the four years he was there. He's pretty good. How about his resume though? Now he's got the national championship at Michigan, led the University of San Diego to consecutive 11 and one seasons, then turned around Stanford's program. They finished 12 and one, won the Orange Bowl, as you mentioned, Rand. Andy, you forgot the one tie, 44-19-1. Tie against the Rams. That's right, against uh, the the Rams at that point. But three NFC title games. I mean, the guy can flat-out coach, man. Yeah. He can coach. And you'll have Harbaugh. Reed and Sean Payton in the same division. And then you That'd have be fun. And Antonio Pierce. He showed himself to be pretty good for the Raiders, too. So that division has a chance to be a lot of fun. And each team, depending on what happens with Denver, is also going to have a quarterback. Yeah. And now you have the Falcons and the Panthers and the Seahawks and the Commanders left. Uh, and they all seem to have one thing in common is that uh, I, I won't take put Seattle there, but there's been a high level of ineptness for the last half dozen years for the other for those other franchises. What do you think happens with Bill Belichick now? Well, the only team that's shown interest is Atlanta, mm-hmm. and maybe they hire him. But the reports are that the only person who really wants to hire him is the owner, Arthur Blank, and he might overrule all of his football people. But the football people there apparently don't want Belichick because they probably don't want him interfering with their little power base, right? <laughs> because when he walks through that door, he's going to usurp a lot of their power. I think that Atlanta is his only shot this year. He hasn't interviewed anywhere else. Nobody else has shown an inclination to even want to talk to him. I think that if he doesn't get that Atlanta job, it might be over for him. Because he's 72, mm-hmm. so then you're out of the, the league. He's not going to be a coordinator somewhere and no. take a secondary job, so it's either head coach or bust. Then the following year, you're 73, and then you you really start asking the question, and we were talking about it off the air, it, it, let's just say 70-plus, can you – maybe even 65 plus can you relate to the younger kid and you've lost in three out of your last four years so you get every year that goes by your legend among those young players starts to fade a little bit and so uh, that's a really good question with what we see when he's at a podium is the typical 22 23 year old going to be fired up by what bill belichick asks them to do that's the biggest issue right there is that it feels like right now you're having a changing of the guard right now in the NFL where it's a lot of the coaching jobs that are being filled are filled by younger coaches. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a huge turn that is happening. Sean McVay yeah. changed everything. NFL it's a McVay factor. right now. Yep. And I don't think that he fits into that vision because if you're a team that's looking to build for the future, do you really want a, 70, a 72-year-old coach to come in there and you don't know how long he's going to be mm-hmm. there? I got to think, though, that the perception of, of him out there is Darth Vader and all that stuff. I, I get it. I mean, he comes out, he's got the hoodie on, 
There's not a lot of emotion, but I got to think, man, behind the scenes, he's been able to relate to players some way, somehow. I mean, you just don't see it as the general public. Well, the one big thing that he had, though, was he had the, the wall of Tom Brady. Tom Brady was able to go into that room and tell all the guys, okay, this is what we need to do to win. Wherever he goes, he's going to need to have that guy that's able to be the the conduit between the coach and the players, and maybe the, the message is sent in a different way. Brady did a lot in that building. He really did. But you can't say that he can't coach. I mean, Bill Belichick can flat-out coach. Oh, yeah, he, he, he can. I mean, he's got a 453 winning percentage without Brady. I know, you're going to go without Tom Brady, but <laughs> he did some other things in football for 50 years that were pretty darn good. He did. He he. he had Bill Belichick say, "Yeah, just let Lawrence, Lawrence do what he's going to do." do. He didn't do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, he no, he's uh, he's had some pretty good defenses. Uh, he developed. He's got an unbelievable coaching tree. When you look at Charlie Weiss and Romeo Crennel <laughs> and Eric Mangini and you know what that uh, Matt, Matt Patricia. Patricia. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say Matt Patricia. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's really really. Solid and he's going to bring there. his guys with him. Is yeah. the other thing is yeah. that something that a team wants? Uh, that's a really good question. And do you want to do you want to walk into that hornet's nest of, as Coach Venturi says, when you walk in that building, that line between right and wrong is right there on the floor and is really blurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you want to bring in that chance that you're going to get fined a million dollars in a first round draft choice because of some unsavory activity that uh, the coach is involved with? Uh, that's Brooke. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, sick of it here on a Thursday morning. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. 314-396-9646. 399-9646-314-399. Yo-ho! He has his one per day, Randy, and he's going to choose it wisely. Uh, okay. Yo-ho. Oh! <laughs> Yo-ho! There you go. I did it early. You're awesome. <laughs> uh, we've got Sick of It next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. ESPN. Uh, this is a product, this sick of it program of Bradley Beal's wife, who when he was with the Washington Wizards, who, oh, by the way, just fired their coach this morning, Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, but anyway, uh, Beal was out scoring a bunch of points for the Wizards and they kept losing. And he had like six games in a row where he would score 40 and they would lose. And one night he scored 47. And his wife went to uh, what was then Twitter, is now X, and just put sick of it. And Michelle Smallman thought that it was just sick of it, you know, kind of an exasperated. And I thought it was more of a, a valley girl, sick of it. So that's how this little segment came about. And uh, so CBSSports.com has this list of possible replacements for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And they've got Sharon Moore. That makes sense. They've got Brian Kelly, who's been to a CFP. They've, they've got him. They've got Lance Leopold from Kansas. They've got the Michigan defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, who's probably going to wind up with the Chargers as their defensive coordinator. And then, number five on their list, Eli Drinkwitz of Mizzou. Mm. Oh. Uh, hey, uh, people that are suggesting Blue Bloods are going to hire a new coach. 
Uh, you put my guy Eli on your list. I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. You love Eli. Eli's my guy. Yeah, he's done a hell of a job down in Mizzou, yes. and he's got things rolling. I, I wonder if you're the head coach, though, if you're Eli, and you're you're now starting to make some big-time money, maybe not inside your conference, but nationwide, Good. you're one you're of the highest-paid highest coaches, and you say you have this kind of talent coming back. It better be a really good blue blood, and you better be left yeah. with some talent to go win because you don't want to start over. I right. don't think you do. I, I think if you're him and you've built this thing up the way he has, you want to see it through. Agreed. I agree. And the thing is, is that I think it's more of a compliment because that is, is that just more of a list of who they think should be interviewed? Yes. There hasn't been an interview process yet. No, but, I don't think there will be, Brooke. No, but I would see that more as a compliment. Yeah. Now, one or two years from now, after Eli Drinkwitz continues to establish himself at Mizzou, say that they make it to that new 12-team playoff format, different things like that, he continues to do really well in the recruiting realm, then, yeah, I'd be a little bit more nervous about yeah. these rumors. This time next year will be really interesting yeah. yeah, because they're going to be really good. They've got Alabama on the schedule. By all accounts, Alabama will be down. I I mean, everything points in the direction that Missouri could have a monster season next year and be a, a high seed in the college football playoff. I don't think that's far-fetched. No, I don't either. And one of the advantages that – and everything changes, right, in sports. But one of the advantages that – you have is that Michigan will have a new coach, Washington will have a new coach, Texas just gave their coach an extension, Georgia's not, Kirby Smart's not going anywhere, Alabama has a new coach, Florida State's guy just signed an extension, they like him. I'm just going down this year's rankings. Oregon has a new guy, Lane Kiffin, he's not going anywhere, uh, I don't know if there's a, a blue blood out there, Ohio State, Ryan Day, I don't, I don't think Eli no. replaces Ryan Day at Ohio State, uh, LSU, Brian Kelly's going to be there, Penn State. Same kind of Franklin's in the same situation as Eli there, Oklahoma. It it appears that they've kind of turned things around under Venables. I wonder what blue blood will open up next year. I don't think Josh Heupel's going anywhere. When you look at the traditional powers and the SEC, people pretty much seem to have relatively new or very successful guys. And he's getting paid. Yeah, top 10, top 9 now, I guess, with Harbaugh leaving college football. I mean, that's ultimate. I always say... Follow the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. follow the money. If he's getting paid, then he stays. Exactly. Well, guys, this is what I'm sick of right now. And we see it all the time on social media where, look, a lot of people take things a little bit too far when it comes to online bullying. I think it's more of that mob, mob mentality of where just one person gets going with the something. The mamba mentality? The mamba mentality. The mamba the mentality? mentality the mob mentality. Media? I know what. It, thank you, Brandy. <laughs> Anyways, the mob mentality that you just see people just really pile on players and just people in general. With Tyler Bass, he deactivated his social media accounts after the missed field goal. Now, it's pretty easy to put two and two together because if you saw some of the comments, a lot of people want to just blame the easy thing, that it was Tyler Bass, the reason why the Bills lost that game. Guys, it was more than Tyler Bass is the reason why the Bills lost that game. But either way, he had to deactivate his social media accounts. So that is what I'm sick of, is when people take it a little bit too far. And sometimes I think people don't believe it, that sometimes that players get these messages. I have heard from players where they even had their family members, their wives. They've had people reach out to them via social media in many different ways, find their family members, track them down, and even harass them. That's taking it too far. Now, 
there is a good side to this story because when people noticed that he deactivated his accounts, they put two and two together and they started to donate towards his charity that he works with a lot that's called the 10 Lives Club. And according to ESPN, donations have reached over 270,000 wow. to the charity that he works with that, of course, helps cats. And so there is a good side to this. I do believe that there are better fans out there than what you see sometimes on social media. And you can contribute all you need to do is you can just do a google search and you can contribute right meow oh man i uh, knew that something like that was coming randy i could just <laughs> see him over there could you imagine bill buckner in the social media era oh, man and what would have happened to him or scott norwood yeah scott norwood oh, wide right with uh, the buffalo bills in the first super bowl against the giants but bill buckner it was terrible yeah. i was doing a game uh, one time with Mookie Betts' son, Preston, who was part of the 06 team, and Mookie was in the booth with us, and he talked about Mookie how... Wilson's son. I'm sorry, Mookie Wilson, and um, I said Mookie Betts, did yeah. I not? Yeah, mm-hmm. Mookie Wilson's son, Preston, and he talked about how he and his father have become very close, Bill Buckner, and Mookie Wilson became very mm-hmm. close through this, like best of friends, fishing buddies, did all that kind of vacation together, all that something as horrible as that but those two came together which is kind of unique and there's a a classic photo people are so observant Mm -hmm. of bill buckner and it just fits he was wearing a cubs wristband when that play wasn't made did he was he really yeah i never knew that yeah so it adds to the curse of it it just yeah all it makes all the sense in the world (laughs) right Oh, I'm uh, I'm sick of the local basketball teams not playing well. Me too. This is a down <laughs> year of uh, of sports. You don't have baseball going on. We don't really follow the NBA all that closely. We do have the Blues, but they've been inconsistent. So you, you would like to hang your hat on something really positive and a team that is kind of ascending in college basketball. I'm a big college basketball fan, and right now, I can't hang my hat on any one of them. I mentioned to Rammer and Earl last night, I went down to, to say hi to those guys. I said, if ever there was a year for Mizzou and Slough to play each other, this was it. This was it. They should play each other any, anyway. Every year. Every year that should be something that's done. Or even bring in Missouri State, have them mm-hmm. play. I don't care if it's Carbondale playing. Now they play Slough, but get them against Missouri. Just get the, the local teams of the area, make sure that they're playing each other. Illinois and Slough would be great. You'd, you'd yeah. sell the thing out. Yep. And that's one of the things I admire. And there's multiple uh, s- state schools that do this. But Michigan always plays their the directional Michigan schools. And they aren't that great this year. But if you look at what they do, actually they are beyond not great. They're in last place in the Big Ten, which is worse than, than not great. But their preseason schedule at Michigan every year always seems to include the, the Eastern Michigans of the world, and uh, the uh, some of the other in-state schools. So is uh, that state mandated, though? I don't some, think so. No. Some teams or some universities, it's state mandated Louisville that they have. Kentucky, is that yeah, right? they have to play. Yeah. All right, let's get a couple of texts in, Matthew, before we get to Greg Amzinger. Uh, dear Uncle Randy, you know what? I'm, I'm not, not uh, dear Uncle Randy. This is sick of it. Yeah. He, he combined it. He goes, "I'm sick. I'm sick of when I'm holding the door open for somebody. They walk right by without even a thank you. Where have the manners and courtesy gone in society?" Agreed. And Carrie uh, Davis is a big proponent of this, and I agree. If somebody doesn't say thank you, just say you're welcome. That's how I do it. Teach well, manners. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. 
But Carrie, Carrie advocated like a, you're welcome. Yep. Yeah. Just to be accurate. Well, then they'll remember. They won't forget <laughs> next time. No, they'll think about it. If Carrie says that too, you're going to go, thank you. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, one, one, one quick one. I'm sick of the NBA thinking Doc Rivers is this basketball guru. He has blown more 3-1 leads than any coach and probably coached more Hall of Famers than any other coach. Now he gets to coach a team that's already 31-13. and 13. He'll blow it. There were real problems in Milwaukee, and the timing was bad. And Adrian Griffin apparently was, well, he just didn't have the respect of his players. Now, I don't know that Doc is going to be able to do it. I mean, he couldn't do it, didn't do it with Harden and Embiid together. Uh, he did win a championship with Garnett and Allen. And uh, the other night it was interesting. Uh, Shaq on TNT said that Rajon Rondo was the reason that they won in Boston. Yes. That he was, he, he with, with those three guys, with Allen, Garnett, and Pierce, that Rondo was the guy in the room that kind of ran the show. That whole situation with Milwaukee reminds me of David Blatt a few yeah. years ago. He was 30 and 11 and got fired in 2016. And both of them fired by superstars, right? Yes. Blatt fired by LeBron, and this guy fired by Giannis. So thank you, Matthew, and thank you very much for your text. We do appreciate it. Coming up, we're going to talk some ball with Greg Amzinger, our friend from MLB Network, is next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Evergreen, and Azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging beds. Baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber Showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Dan McLaughlin, I'm Randy Carricker, and it's time now to go to the celebrity line. Our friend Greg Amzinger is the lead anchor of MLB Network. He's a native of St. Louis and a product of the Lindenwood University. And I know that one of Greg's favorite nights of the year is when he gets to participate in the Hall of Fame election process. Not the process, but he gets to help announce and interview the, the Hall of Famers. We had that the other night with Todd Helton and Joe Maurer and Adrian Beltre. Uh, Greg, first of all, good morning. Great to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for beginning there because, yes, I, I circle the Hall of Fame election announcement show on my calendar. And, and, and the reason I say it every year, the greatest sports host of all time is Bob Costas. And this is a show where he doesn't host it. I host it. So he, he knows how to host the show. He can do it in his sleep. And he's staring right across from me at the end of the anchor desk, listening to 
everything goes through my ear, all the traffic, and it's very intimidating. But I, I, I kind of flipped the script on him, and I, I did something that was just kind of for me this year. I can figure out, and Randy and Dan and Brooke, you all know, like when you're working together for a long time, you understand what, what, what your co-host like, right? Well, I know that Bob doesn't want to do a breakdown tape. He doesn't really care about graphics. He doesn't really, he doesn't really care about that stuff. When he's like a pundit analyst, right? But he loves sinking his teeth into the voting results. And I'm supposed to be the one that does that right after the announcement comes out. Well, we're in commercial break, and I go, hey, Bob, you know what? We're going to react to whoever gets in. But when we get to the three or four pages of voting results, I'm just, why don't you just take it? And he looks at me and goes, are you sure, Greg? And I'm like, yeah, just take it, man, just take it. So he starts going line by line. Like, it's it's three and a half to four minutes of analysis of every single player that was on the ballot. You could have brought in a Beyonce smoke machine and just sat back in your chair with your jaw on the ground. It was broadcasting doctorate class. It was so amazing to listen to. He's so freaking good. I was just like a fanboy sitting on the set with him, listening to him, gives all of the analysis of every single player that was on that Hall of Fame ballot and the results that they got on that day. It was great. He is incredible. What stood out to you in within that segment of his analysis? Was there Were there one or two things that you thought, wow, that's cool. I didn't think of that. Uh, he pointed out that how many people, this is the other thing that's crazy about his brain. He doesn't forget anything. So when someone debuted on the ballot and all of a sudden they're at 10.8%, off the top of his head, he's rolling off the other Hall of Famers who started off at the same percentile on year one of their ballot and eventually got in. Like, without notes, he just knew the Hall of Famers that debuted at the same exact voting total. Like, without any preparation, he reacted to it in real time, and it was just flawless. Like, he he, he mentioned all of the guys that are polarizing, the Mannies, the A-Rods, um, the Omar, the Skells, and, and walked you through how much they slid from last year to this year. We're just off the top of his mind. He just memorized what they, what, the, what their voting total was the year before. He, he's just a savant, man. And, and it's an intimidating thing to do a three-hour television show with someone that good. <laughs> Greg, we're talking about this coming up at 8. About aside from Yadier Molina and Nolan, uh, Nolan Arenado and Albert Pujols, who is the next Cardinal that you think will go into the Hall of Fame? Ooh, you mentioned Yadier Molina, right? Mm-hmm. He said his name. Okay, yeah. I, I, I guess I, I guess I'd have to say it's Paul Goldschmidt. I, I have to believe it, right? He's on the Hall of Fame highway. He's aging really well. Um, Nolan Arenado's a slam dunk, but he's a little younger, so he's going to stick around. I think it's got to be Goldie. And if you look at Goldschmidt's numbers compared to other first basemen that are in the Hall of Fame, he's three years away from sort of cementing this to me. Like what 200 wins meant for Adam Wainwright, if, if, if Goldie can put together three more seasons, including the 2024 year, where he hits 290 or above, over 20 home runs, drives in over 90 runs with a great on-base percentage, he's aging really well. I think he's the guy. If I, I, I was thinking, though, Brooke, I was thinking about Cardinal fans everywhere. Because, it, 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 look, people, I got into an argument with Jonathan Mayo, our prospect guru, he's like, why does it matter if a Hall of Famer is first ballot? If you know he's eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame, why does it matter anyway? I'm like, because it matters to the players. It matters to the Hall of Famers. I interviewed Joe Maurer. He couldn't believe he joined Pudge Rodriguez and Johnny Bench as the only catchers to be elected in a first ballot. That means something. I interviewed Mariano Rivera right after he was the first ever unanimously elected Hall of Famer. He was crying over that. Like, that detail mattered. 
to him. The, the players know who the top shelf Hall of Famers are. Those are the first ballot guys. So for Cardinal fans everywhere that are wondering if Yadier Molina is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer because his offensive numbers don't quite match up. To me, Joe Maurer getting in in a first ballot ensures that Yadier Molina will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I was thinking about Cardinal fans everywhere, how that election of Maurer on a first ballot will impact Yadi down the line. Greg, did uh, they feel that they got it right this year with the omission of Billy Wagner, which I think will be happening next year, but did they think that they got it right, generally speaking? Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you, Dan. I think Billy Wagner needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And i, I got to be honest with you, I'm scared uh, that he is in a, a cinch burger. He was five or four votes short of getting to the 75% threshold. I thought for sure Gary Sheffield, who, yes, was connected to PEDs, Mitchell Report, all that jazz, uh, but he has come out adamantly and said that he did not knowingly do any of that stuff and really, really campaigned for himself this year. I thought a year ago when he went up almost 15% in the electorate, with one year left to go in his Hall of Fame eligibility to be voted in by the BBWAA, I thought he was going to get another huge uptick. I would, be, I would have been surprised if he would have gone from 55% to 75%. If you're going to go up 15% in year nine, it's crazy to think you'd go up 20 in year 10. That's like the sympathy vote. He barely went up this year. I was shocked by that. So I'm a little worried because you know, Billy Wagner sort of represents the modern electorate, the modern voter who is living in this world of bullpenning that we're all living in right now, which let's go. This is the new age of pitching value. Uh, if you can come in for an, a clean inning and dominate, that should mean something. And, you know, look, the swing and miss is an important thing. I totally get it. But he is being unfairly cast off by some voters. Over 14 postseason appearances. Tom Verducci said something I thought that was really interesting. He goes, look, if you're Kurt Schilling, if you're Carlos Beltran is one of the great postseason hitters of all time, if you're Amy Pettit who's still on the ballot getting votes, it's okay if the postseason success you had helps your Hall of Fame candidacy, but it shouldn't hurt you. And I completely agree with that. Like, I really, Mike Trout has done nothing in the postseason. Are you telling me that he shouldn't be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Like, come on. You needed Billy Wagner to get to these big moments, to have 14 appearances in the postseason be what sucks away his fame and his success. You're going to leave him out. I think it would be a crime. I hope he gets over 75% next year. So I did kind of a deep dive on Billy Wagner. He missed by five votes. Three of the votes were taken away from him by guys that had voted for him the year before. And then two of the votes that he didn't get were because a two writers voted for A-Rod and Manny and nobody else. There's uh. your five votes, then he gets in. It begs the question then, Greg, around Major League Baseball and, and with the folks that you are doing the work with at MLB, do we need to change this? Do we need to get more people involved in the game that are voting on this? And I understand the writers, some take it as a great responsibility, some some do not. But do we need to get other people involved to make sure this is done properly? Yeah, I mean, this is a group, Dan. I deal with them a lot for the BBWA Awards Week, right? So you get the Cy Young, the Manager of the Year, the Rookie of the Year, the MVP. These shows are very important, and, and they take it very seriously. Um, they They believe in their process. They they really do, and uh, you know you 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 ask Joel Sherman this question, and you're going to get about a three and a half minute answer that's filled with uh, spit flying, and his blood pressure goes up. He truly believes in what the BBWAA does uh, to defend them 
it has become the most difficult Hall of Fame to get into. And there is some sort of allure to that. Uh, I think it's added to the magic of what Cooperstown is about. And it, it should be hard to get in. I get it. It should be hard to get in. I, I think you know what you just pointed out, the voters that left him off their list. The lists change for a lot of these guys. They vote for 10 no matter what. That's max. So when new names come in, they cast off names they voted up for before. But, you know, Jason Starks did something who I think is just one of the great baseball minds and loves the game immensely. You have to take into account their candidacy. If you would ever vote for somebody, you have to assume by putting them on your list that they're a Hall of Famer. You have to believe by voting for them one time that they're a Hall of Famer. And you have to be true to that. You have to continue as long as they're eligible to support the initial vote you gave to that man to be a Hall of Famer. That didn't happen from other voters. I think maybe we don't change the process, but maybe we need like a Hall of Fame boot camp, right? Where they all go and they stay in cabins and they sit around bonfires and they all tell stories about how to do it correctly. Maybe that's what they need, a little culture building so they're all on the same page. Hey, Greg, uh, let's move to the Cardinals. Uh, I want you, and and first of all, we understand that the Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter for leadership. Can you think of a baseball reason that they signed him? Yeah, look, there was a team that um, would sit around and go, hey, do you think we sign an old, on-his-last-leg DH that the home crowd kind of digs? Uh, do you think we could get lighting in the bottle? If there was an organization that threw that idea around, you better believe it would be the St. Louis Cardinals after what they just witnessed with Albert Pools. Do I think he's going to have that kind of a season? I don't. But what's what's wrong with trying it again? I, the Cardinal fa- fans and the, the Card- Cardinal faithful are going to give him a standing ovation. I guess they're going to love on him all year long. And that's part of the culture of St. Louis baseball. It's, it's just great about being a Cardinal fan. Uh, I'll, some of my fondest memories was when Willie McGee came back. I mean, that was Willie McGee got a standing ovation every time he came to the plate. And there were guys playing for the Braves scratching their head going, what? This guy shouldn't look 212 right now. He'd get a standing ovation. He's not a Hall of Famer, but in St. Louis he was. So uh, Matt Carpenter had some magical years, and it's sort of part of the fraternity, which I think is great. And if it makes no baseball sense – let that let St. Louis be the only place where it makes no baseball sense and still works out. I like narratives like this. I really do. Okay. Hey, well, before we let you go, I want to give you one fun fact about the Hall of Fame. Since 1908, since 1908, the Cardinals from 1909 on have had a Hall of Famer in uniform every single season. That's an amazing nugget. Now, who can, this isn't your work, is it? Did you sit down on Baseball Reference and grind? Or, like, who is this? Did you steal I, this from somebody? I double-checked. Actually, my friend Joe Strom, Cardinals ticket manager, brought this up to me, and I, I went back and I looked at, uh, I went through, uh, scrolled through all of Baseball Reference, and 1908 is the last time the Cardinals. Then when Roger Bresnahan showed up in 1909, since then, every year the Cardinals have had a Hall of Famer uh, in uniform. And oh, by the way, a couple of those years when McGuire, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but Tony LaRusso was the manager. So uh, a couple of those years, it wasn't necessarily a player, but they've had a Hall of Famer in uniform. 
and you're talking about Hall of Famers. Think about the guys that have a gripe. Like Matt Holiday was one and done. Yeah. Okay. I wanted him to stay on the ballot again because if Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer and we look at his home road splits, if you look at OPS Plus, which is adjusted to ballpark, Matt Holiday was actually a better performer in St. Louis than he was at Coors Field, which changes the way you look at Matt Holiday's career. Whereas Todd Helton wasn't the case. Of course, he had great splits at, at Coors Field. We were talking that he was still an effective hitter away from his home yard, which I don't think we should punish him for. I mean, at Jim Edmonds, how I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to do, I got pom poms for Joe Maurer. I'm happy for him. But you're telling me if we're going to give credence to the defensive position of catcher, which he did half his career, by the way, half his career, he is now, um, other than a guy that caught in the 1800s, Deacon Jones, he's now uh, the catcher with the fewest games caught in Cooperstown will be Joe Mao, okay? You're telling me because he played a premium position for half his career that center field is in a premium position? That Jim Edmonds, who is a far more dominant offensive player, should, shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? Andrew Jones shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? I'm sorry, Tory Hunter is on a list of seven players, players, not just center fielders, players that have 350 or more home runs and nine or more gold gloves. Tory Hunter, hey, he's not good enough. But Joe Mowers, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I need to go to the boot camp. Maybe they'll let me in the BBWA <laughs> boot camp. Great. Great stuff as always. Thanks so much for the time, Greg. We will be tuned in to MLB tonight throughout the course of this offseason. Heck, we're only uh, three weeks away from the start of spring training. I can't wait. I'll be in Arizona. Come visit. We'll play golf, Dan. Okay? Sounds you, good. You do it too, Andy. Brooke, bring the whole, do the show from Arizona. Let's go. That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, see you guys. See Greg, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line for ticket or leave it 314-399-9646-314-399. Yo-ho! Yo-ho! To 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? It, you can take it. If you don't, set it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646 and give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Brooke, Dan, Matthew, Randy, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Okay. Jim Harbaugh wins the national championship at Michigan earlier in the month, and now he is the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers of Inglewood. Take it or leave it. If you're a Michigan fan, you can be mad at Jim Harbaugh. Ooh. I'm going to leave that. Yeah, I might just leave it for the fact that he was able to get them the national championship. But then the wreckage that is going to be left behind, not necessarily wreckage, but what's being left behind, the NCAA, the allegations... That's a little tough. He's beaten Ohio State three times in a row. Yeah, that's going to get you, Courier, a lot of favor if you win those yeah. games. And I, I agree with, with Brooke, though. We're going to be sitting here talking in six months about what has happened with Michigan. New head coach, what are your expectations? And, oh, by the way, slapped by the NCAA with some type of infractions of whatever those may be. And I don't know if it's, like you said, leaving wreckage, but it is leaving kind of a – a bad taste in your mouth as you move forward. Yeah. But I did get a national championship out of That's it. That's the key. That's nice. Yeah. That is really nice. It's kind of like LeBron leaving Cleveland the second time, right? He got him the championship, said yeah. he was going to do it, and then moved on to the greener pastures of Southern California. I 
I think I w- just because of who I am and what my personality is, I think I would be mad at him for leaving. But I wouldn't trade the championship for anything. No. So you got to have one or the other here, Randy. <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, I'd, okay, I I think I would be thankful that I got the championship. Natty, I would too. Natty's always the biggest yeah. thing. I would just ask for the Bill Self special when it comes to the NCAA and the little slap on the wrist. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's nice. Five level ones and you really don't get punished at all. <laughs> no, right. it doesn't even matter. All no. of these you know, years of investigating and then it comes down to just a tiny slap on the wrist. Not even a slap on the wrist, I would even say. No, I would agree. And I think Michigan is pinch. big enough that the NCAA won't, won't want to mess around with Michigan anyway. No. We'll ultimately. find out. But I, hey, if, you, if you're going to take the infractions... And get a national championship. Everybody's going to, yeah, take the infractions. Mm -hmm. I'm all right with that. And one other quick Tioli, take it or leave it. Connor Stallions is on the Chargers staff next year. Oh, I'm going to have to leave it. (laughs) Maybe he'll be hanging out. The fact that he was around so much, even towards the end there. Yeah, Yeah. he was. He was celebrating. Take it or leave it, guys. I'm going to stay on the Michigan track here because I just think this would be really funny. Take it or leave it. Brian Kelly goes to Michigan to be their new head coach. He has the Michigan connections, as we all remember from his past. He coached at Central Michigan. Does he go back? He's under a lot of pressure right now at LSU, and his QB just left for the NFL after winning the Heisman. They always say the shelf life for these guys at the high end is usually three to five years. Mm -hmm. You, you, You get the job done for three or four years. You look for the next job. Now that buys you another three to four or five years of making big money. It would make some sense, Brooke, if, if he would jump. Yeah. I, I'm going to take that I would love to see it happen, but I'm going to leave that it will. It, it it appears that Michigan wants to preserve some continuity and they'll be able to keep their staff together if they promote Sharon Moore. And at this time of year, after everybody's put their staffs together, I know that the contracts of coaches in college football aren't worth the paper that they're written on. But I think even with that being the case, assistant coaches would be reluctant to leave to follow uh, a guy like Brian Kelly to Michigan on January 25th. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I thought you would take it just because of Baker. That's the fun part of it. Wouldn't it be fun to have Brian Kelly leave Blake Baker? (laughs) Now, Connor Stallions be on the Michigan staff. Okay. Instead of the Chargers. (laughs) Goes back to Michigan. All right, I'm going to stay with the Jim Harbaugh theme. I, I mentioned this earlier. Leeds University of San Diego consecutive 11 and 1 seasons turned around Stanford's program they were 12 and 1 when they were awful won the orange bowl we've talked about it 44 19 and 1 his record as the 49ers head coach in three NFC title games that he went to take it or leave it he'll be in a super bowl within 3 years with the chargers I'll take it i will take, take it i am going to take that too yeah. yeah he can just flat out coach man mm-hmm. man harbaugh and the chargers against reed well, Harbaugh, Herbert, and the Chargers against Reed, Mahomes, and the Chiefs over the next few years. It's going to be epic. You talk about, about a lot of primetime games against each other. Mm-hmm. Man, we're, we're next starting next year. They play each other next year. Yep. Talking well, about the, the brothers. The uh, Harbaugh brothers. Yeah, the Harbaugh brothers, but then obviously twice for the Chargers yeah, and Chiefs. Right. All right, Matthew, what do you got for us? Take it or leave it one and a half seasons for the Chargers to win the AFC West. Or I guess take it or leave it over yeah. under one and a half seasons. I'll, I'll take that, and I will take the over. Okay. Uh, I just don't think the Chiefs are going away. And I, they've got some issues. They're $40 million over the cap with the Chargers. So they, you know, w- whether it's 
Bosa, who doesn't play much. Khalil Mack had a career year. Uh, the, uh, Derwin James is there. They, they've, they're going to have to remove some parts of that defense. They do have the fifth and the 37th overall pick, mm-hmm. so they can do some damage in the draft if they draft properly. Yeah, and they also need to get rid of one of their receivers, probably Mike Williams, who's never healthy. But he'll be able to build a roster pretty quickly, I would think. Pull us one from the YouTube chat. Take it or leave it. Nolan Gorman challenges for a silver slugger in 2024. Leave it. It, I guess it would depend on what position he would Mm -hmm. be playing. He's going to be your DH. And let's say there's some pretty good DHs out Mm -hmm. there. He'd have to hit probably 30, 35 home runs, which isn't out of the question. So I'm still going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. I I think it will be a great season for him. Hopefully he will be healthier, but I think that it just isn't going to be this season. That's the key. He's got to stay on the field or in the batter's box, you know, and I – Health with this team is, like with any team, is crucial. But when you look at the advanced age of their rotation, older guys there, they got to stay healthy. Newpar's got to stay on the field. Gorman's got to play just about every day. That's that's how you're going to win. Can I simplify this? Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Norman Go- Gor- Nolan Gorman beats out Shohei Otani for National League Silver Slugger among DHs. Yeah, leave it. Yeah, I'm going to have to leave that. I think that makes it a little bit more clear. And also, Dan, I like what you said about advanced age. I'm going to add that to my repertoire of describing this yeah. <laughs> story. Yeah. Season. I, I older said guys. seasoned. What did I say? I said seasoned. Uh, I said experienced. Yeah. Advanced, advanced age. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, don't no. go. Just go advanced. Advanced. There yeah, we go. Good. I like how specific this one is. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals trade for Miami or Seattle starting pitcher before the trade deadline. Miami or Seattle. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that because I think Miami's gonna be in the hunt and I don't think they'll wind up moving Lizardo. Yeah. And Seattle already traded Robbie Ray. That was their depth. People thought that they would trade one of the kids for when Robbie Ray returned, unless they signed Snell, which I don't think they're going to do. I think that Seattle is set with their rotation, and I don't think they will move anybody like Gilbert or Kirby. I'm going to leave it, but I think the Cardinals will be aggressive at the deadline if they're in the hunt. I I don't think they just stand pat. I think they understand that there is a lot of pressure on them this season, and if they're close, I think they go for it. Is it just in the hunt for the NL Central? Uh, I'd say in the hunt for a a playoff playoff spot. So whether that's a Central or a wild card, but if they're in playoff contention, I think they go for it. Because they're under a lot of pressure going into this season. Fan base expects that. Yeah, they do. You don't really need to have a quote-unquote World Series-level roster, apparently. You can just get hot with, you know, make one or two right moves. And if you get hot, if you're sixth seed, apparently it works pretty well for you. Well, wild card teams do it all the time <laughs> now. Do. It's the way yeah. it works. Uh, take it or leave it. The guy that they go get is Paul Blackburn of the A's. I think anybody on the A's could be gettable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think so. Thank you, Matthew. And we appreciate your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we asked Greg and we'll ask Brooke and Dan and Randy. Aside from Yachty and Albert, who's the next Cardinal to go into the Hall of Fame? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I guess I'd have to say it's Paul Goldschmidt. I, I have to believe it, right? He's on the Hall of Fame highway. He's aging really well. Nolan Arenado's a slam dunk, but he's a little younger, so he's going to stick around. I think it's got to be Goldie. And if you look at Goldschmidt's numbers compared to other first basemen that are in the Hall of Fame, he's three years away from sort of cementing this to me. Like What 200 wins meant for Adam Wainwright, if, if, if Goldie can put together three more seasons, including the 2024 year, where he hits 290 or above, over 20 home runs, drives in over 90 runs with a great on-base percentage. He's aging really well. I think he's the guy. Welcome back to the opening drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Randy Carricker, Danny Mack, and Matthew Rocchio. And that was MLB Network's Greg Amsinger with our big fresh take question of the day. We saw guys after last year, Scott Rowland, he got his call into Cooperstown. This year, no former Cardinal making it into the Baseball Hall of Fame. But that got us thinking, who will be the next Cardinal to make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame? I think we can all agree here that Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols will be getting in. But aside from those two... Who do you think will be the next Cardinal to go in? I'm going to go Kurt Flood. Mm. I'm going to go outside the box here a little bit. And there is what was formerly the Veterans Committee. It's now the contemporary era, 1980 to present day. Or you have the classic baseball era, which is prior to 1980 and includes like the Negro Leagues and executives and players that made an impact in the game of baseball. I don't think you can say there is a player that has meant more to the players than Kurt Flood and what he did. I, I wish that every player had an understanding of what Kurt Flood and what it cost him to what they enjoy today with the money that they make. So I'm going to go Kurt Flood, kind of think outside the box. That's a really good call because Yachty and Albert are up in 28, and there really isn't anybody of recent vintage between them that you say, okay, that person even has a chance to make the Hall of Fame. The, the, the holiday comes off the ballot. Edmonds isn't going to make it with one of those, uh, the, the vintage committees, for lack of a better term. So I think Flood is a really good call. But I have to agree with Greg. I believe that Goldschmidt will retire before Arenado, and Arenado is a lock. I think we all agree with that. Mm-hmm. That if he retired today, that Arenado would be a Hall of Famer. But Goldie will retire before him. And Paul Goldschmidt over the course of a, a half dozen year period was top three in war in major league baseball this is a guy that in his time and he may go in with uh an arizona cap but he had a 930 ops in his eight years with arizona 930 for eight years for an ops so he he may have been uh, again he had to play 10 years but uh, after his second year here, and he's played five in St. Louis already, he was probably already a Hall of Famer, but I think Goldie is the guy. So the average first baseman in terms of war, which is what you have to look at in a lot of ways, wins above replacement, for the average first baseman to go into the Hall of Fame, it is 65. Goldschmidt, by the way, is already at 61.7. I'll give you another name that I think could go out in the quote-unquote Veterans Committee, but Keith Hernandez. 
Keith yeah. Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame in my mind. His war is at uh, 65, MVP in 79. He had three top five finishes for the MVP. He won a World Series with the Mets in 1986. Um, and I, you can make a case he's the best defensive first baseman ever, mm-hmm. not just of his era, but ever. I think Keith Hernandez deserves a, a real hard look for the committee to put him into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a shame the writers didn't look more closely at him with a couple of world championships and an MVP. And as you mentioned, the, the MVP consideration in addition to the Most Valuable Player Award. And pretty much everybody in baseball agrees with that assessment, that he's the best defensive first baseman ever. He changed the way the position is played. Yes. Well, I, I said the reason I said New York for the world championships is because mm-hmm. even though he won in 82, because it's New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's the 86 team. It, it's just a crazy uh, situation with that 86 team beloved in New York. And it's New York and where a lot of things happen, the epicenter of media in a lot of ways, it's New York. And by the way, I want to circle back to Goldie for one second because you mentioned Keith with the top five finishes. Goldie has six top six finishes. He's got a first. He's finished MVP voting second mm-hmm. on two occasions. He's finished third in the MVP voting another time, and then a fifth and a sixth. So, or, or two sixths rather. So, think about that—that that he has been thought of that highly by the same group of people that vote for the Hall of Fame. Uh, for those years for and for his career. Well, and that's why I thought, and my pick is going to be Paul Goldschmidt as well, because I thought as soon as Todd Helton got in, that Paul Goldschmidt was a lock, because they have pretty com- comparable numbers right now, and Paul Goldschmidt has won an MVP. I think mm-hmm. that's something that really stands out, and I love your pick with Kurt Flood, because I think that he deserves so much more recognition than he has gotten. And I know that he is very well appreciated, but to really understand how much that he has changed the game. Another that I feel like we always bring up and we always talk about Jim Edmonds when mm-hmm. does he get in does he get in I, I wonder if those committees and it'll be interesting to see if Andrew Jones goes in right next year yeah. next year is his last year on the ballot because I think that comparable players yeah Edmonds Griffey and Griffey obviously has the 600 home runs it sets him apart but those were the three center fielders of that era and I'm with you Dan I think that Edmonds, as smooth and as much ground as Andrew Jones covered, I think Edmonds was better defensively. I think he was the best defensively defensively of the three. I know that numbers people aren't big fans of clutch, but Jim Edmonds had the clutch gene. And he also, even though Andrew Jones played on a lot of playoff teams, Jim Edmonds was a playoff star. And I think that's something that when you get into a committee situation, rather than having 500 people voting, you can say, okay, this, look at what this guy did when the lights were the brightest. I think with Edmonds, too, he was a victim of horrible timing. If you mm-hmm. look at the ballot that he was on, there are Hall of Famers up and down mm-hmm. that ballot, and he got under 5%, so he was taken off. I do think that this looks at short-term dominance against long-term standing career now. This is how you have to look at the Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily some guy that played 25 years. It's about the short-term dominance of that player. So if you're looking at that, I think that Jim Edmonds should get in. And unfortunately for him, he won't. It'll have to be with one of these committees that we talk about. But uh, he's one of those guys. I'm going to throw another name out at at you guys, too. But there's two of them. They would not go in as Cardinals. But both are switch hitters. Both are in the top ten ever being switch hitters in the game of baseball. Lance Berkman 
who will not get mm-hmm. into the Hall of Fame, but he'd be one mm-hmm. that you'd take a look at. He's not on the ballot, but one of the top ten mm-hmm. switch hitters ever, and his postseason numbers were amazing. And the other one is Carlos Beltran, who yeah. will get into the car, uh, to the Hall of Fame. What hurts him, obviously, is the cheating scandal of the uh, Astros, and he was at the forefront of that, and it's cost him a managerial position, but his war is above 70 he was a hell of a player, and he'll get into yeah. the Hall of Fame eventually. Yeah. I think that he deserves to get in, and his stock actually rose with the ballot this year, if you guys mm-hmm. noticed that. One last one for you guys, and this might be a little controversial, but what about Adam Wainwright? I think, Adam, unfortunately for the writers that vote and for the committees, I think he's going to be right on the edge. He'll he'll be a Hall of very, very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I don't think, even though the 200 wins, that's a, a big milestone now, and I want to get to that in a second. But I think even though he did what he did, he closed out a World Series. He pitched in another World Series in 2013. I think when compared to other pitchers during his era, I think that he'll come up short. And there's some writers that'll say, I don't care that he got to 200 wins. Right. <laughs> and that's going to be my next point. When you talk about short-term dominance, Jacob deGrom is probably a Hall of Famer. He's won two Cy Youngs. He's been top nine in Cy Young voting six times. He's got 84 career wins. But I bet you Jacob deGrom is a Hall of Famer. It's going to be close. Yeah, I I mean, he's on the trajectory for sure. He'd be in the conversation Yeah, I mean, with 84 wins. Yeah, in in a five-year period, eighth in the Cy Young Award, first, first, third, and ninth. Yeah. And then he, he got hurt. Only has 80, and he won Cy Youngs. The, the two years he won the Cy Young, he was 11 and 8, right. and then uh, the other year he was 10 and 9. And what was the uh, ERA in strikeouts? Uh, see, 1.7 uh, with 269 strikeouts right. and 217 <laughs> innings. And then the next year that he won, he had uh, 2.43 ERA, 255 strikeouts, and 204 innings. I, I still believe in wins. I'm not as bullish as I was on wins, but I still think there's something to getting through the five innings and putting your team in a position to win. I agree, but the industry doesn't care about him anymore. They do not. When you're pulling out Jordan Montgomery, when he gets to five, they don't care about a guy giving you a chance to go six or seven innings anymore. Nope, not at all. And the voters don't either. And as we go further along with those that vote, it's a younger generation of writers that are looking more sabermetrically than they are old school. I agree with you. Well, that's Dan, Randy, and I'm Brooke. Coming up, the Blues taking down Van Blank in Coover last night. We'll head to the celebrity line to talk to Bernie Federko. That's coming up here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Blue is Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Start for the trip for your St. Louis Blues. They win in Calgary on a comeback performance two nights ago, and then last night they are able to win in overtime against Vancouver. Vancouver came into the game with the most points of any team in the NHL. Brooke Grimsley, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, we go to the celebrity line, and our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko from Bally Sports, joins us. Bernie, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. Thank you. This is uh, this is really impressive, uh, and obviously it's a two-game uh, snapshot, but that might wind up, if the season goes as I expect it to, might wind up being the highlight of the season these last two games. 
It's been really good. I mean, I think that what we're seeing right now is we're seeing exceptional goaltending. Uh, we're seeing timely scoring. We've got um, uh, when you look at our power play, it's it's actually the special teams have, have done pretty good. So I mean, it's, it's it's things are going well right now. But it's 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 as so as you said, it's a small sample right now. Well, there were so many players in the game that really stood out. But to me, I really noticed Jake Neighbors in this game. He got his 15th goal of the season. He's now one goal away from Robert Thomas for tops on the team. For Jake Neighbors, we were discussing this earlier, Bernie. Is there a former Blues player or even a current one that you think would be a good player comp for Jake Neighbors and even his potential? I don't know if you could really compare him to anybody, but I mean, I like the way he plays. I mean, he's got energy all the time. I mean, uh, he's one of those kids that's trying to prove his way now. Um, you know, here's a, when you look at it, he's a first round draft pick, and I think when a first round pick, he's a late first round draft pick. So I, I think that in junior, he was hurt a lot. He really, uh, we didn't know that much about him, but but I, I think that he is really kind of he, he's trying to kind of follow in the way that uh, uh, that Shen plays, and I think that, that they have that really great relationship. Uh, he lived at Shen's house when he came up uh, last year, and, and and this and that. So I like the way he plays, and and yeah, he's getting involved. Uh, he's got uh, a great nose for the net right now. He's scoring some goals. He made a really nice play on the power play last night. With the, he's there for net front, run, front presence, but he still made a really nice play with the pass across to Bruchnevich last night. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anybody I can really compare him with, but I think he's going to be one of those guys that he's found his way into the top two lines, and I think he's going to stay there. Bernie, you watch Colton Pareko. It's fun to see what he's doing this year. Played nearly 27 minutes last night after 25-17 the night before. Where, where, what are you seeing as to where he's taking, it looks like, his game to another level? I think Danny's playing with a little more confidence. Uh, if you go back a couple of years ago, even during the Stanley Cup run, um, I mean, he's one of those guys that, that was getting more and more ice time. And, and, I mean, he can skate so well. He's got size. Uh, he certainly can shoot the puck. Uh, he, he's got that uh, awareness all the time of what he needs to do, and he defends so well. Even when he makes a mistake because his quick stride and the long stick, he always gets back, and even if he makes a mistake, he can get back and cover up for himself. But I think right now that he wanted to elevate his game, uh, he's getting more involved offensively, and uh, he's just a workhorse. He, he wants to be out there, and, I mean, I, we, all, we all know him. Uh, he's got the greatest personality in the world. If he had a mean streak in him, he'd probably be the best defenseman in the entire league, but uh, I just like the way he is playing right now because I think, again, it's a confidence factor right now. Uh, you can mention neighbors. He's playing with a lot of confidence. So is Pareko. And uh, I just think we're seeing what he's capable of doing it. And, and, and now he's getting rewarded with more and more ice time. Bernie, would another name to be put on that list of playing with confidence be Shen after going a dozen games in a row without a goal? He's on a, a little bit of a heater now. It's a funny game, Randy. <laughs> you know, when when you can go a, a bunch of games without scoring and, and you just keep working and working. And he's been through it before. He's been around uh, the game an awful long time, over 900 games now. So, yeah, it's nice to see him back in his groove. And, and I think you see that with, with most scorers. Uh, when they get in a groove, they start scoring. When they don't, they kind of uh, continue to work on it. He didn't really doesn't get that down on himself. He's, he's got... Uh, great attitude. He's a really good captain of this hockey club. Even though he's not scoring, he's still doing a lot of great things. So it's good to see him because you always want to see a guy like that get rewarded. And uh, yes, he's got a lot of confidence right now. And I mean, uh, just shoot the puck. It goes in sometimes and now right now it's going in. So keep shooting it. Bernie, you've been around the NHL for a long time, since 1976. And it seems to me like there are more teams riding a roller coaster in terms of performance than ever. The Blues are one of those, but then we focus on them. But man, you look around the league, it's amazing how many teams have incredible ups and downs. 
That's it's uh, there's parity in the league right now, Randy. Even if we, when you look at some of the teams that have struggled, I mean they're capable of beating any any team on on any given night. And I mean I'm watching the LA Kings who had such a great start. All of a sudden, I mean they lose again last night, so they're kind of brought themselves back down towards where the wild card situation is now. So uh, yeah, there is. I mean, so you can't really take any team for granted. I mean, Vancouver's only lost two games out of the last what eleven now, and both of them are against the Blues. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, Vancouver played very well last night. I mean, I, I think the Blues, I mean, goaltending was great. The, the Blues really weathered that storm uh, to start the game. They got a couple of timely goals, and then they uh, got, they were very fortunate to get out of it in the third period without giving up any more, and, and then they win it in overtime. But uh, it, it's, it's, it is. It's a crazy game, and, and, and because of that, I mean, there's there's so much talent in the league. And, I mean, the schedule is tough, Randy. I, I think that really is a factor, too. I mean, you play an awful lot of games, and I think we're getting into that February now, where it's uh, it's going to be even more difficult for until they get down to about twenty games. I mean, this is the I guess the doldrums of the of the season now, where where guys are really have a hard time getting up for games. Now we're going to have a little All Star break, where the guys get a little time off, and then even after the time off, it's kind of hard to get your concentration back because you know you got a a big run going into the playoffs or trying to make the playoffs. So there's a lot of hockey left, but yeah, we're we're going to see some ups and downs still from a lot of teams out there, and I, I think the Blues we said. At the beginning of the year, uh, they're going to have to fight for a wild card spot. They're in that position right now, and it's going to still be a fight uh, for the rest of the year. Hey, Bernie, before we let you go, I want to go back to last Friday. You obviously were inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame with the inaugural class, and last week was the second class, and you had the opportunity to help induct Mike Liute. And I told several people there, the Blues just do everything right. That that uh, event was, from my perspective and my viewpoint, sensational. Uh, how was it for you? It was great. I mean, Mike Crusoe does such a good job. I mean, to get the guys back in, the families. I mean, it's it's a celebration of of uh, of, of the guys that we, we we got to play with and guys that really deserve to be, uh, you know, part of the elite of this franchise. So, I mean, uh, to, to see all the guys there. I mean, it was great spending time with Mike and his family. Uh, it was great to see the festivities, and you know, of course, we all know Big Walt, and then you know, Pablo's wife comes in, and his her family. Uh, it's it just you're right. I mean, uh, it, we have a very storied franchise now uh, here in St. Louis. I mean, it goes back. There's a lot of fond memories. There was a lot of alumni were there too, Randy. So we had a, a great time. A lot of old stories, and uh, it's just good good to see what, what goes on with a, with a really great organization. Bernie, thanks for the time. We do appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of this day, and let's go Blues. You guys, thank you very much, and you guys have a great day. Yes, uh, let's hope it keeps going. No, no, no start stopping it now. <laughs> <laughs> right. See you, Bernie. Uh, that's the great Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, with us on 101 ESPN. And if you didn't hear, by the way, uh, to get an idea of how meaningful the, the blue note is for players, T.J. Oshie on a night off was there at the awesome. event. Uh, wow. he, he showed up. The, it was the Friday night. The Capitals were here in town for the Saturday game, and he's sitting there with Barrett Jackman just to take it in and uh, the appreciation of Big Walt and the appreciation of the Blue Note. So uh, guys really do appreciate this franchise and this town. What was the, for people that weren't there, given the format of the event, like how they do it? It's so well done. John Kelly and Chris Kerber are the MCs, and the first person they brought up was Mike Liute, but they bring up Bernie first, mm-hmm. and then Bernie's able to participate in an interview with Mike Liute and talk about his career. And then, obviously, you bring up Holly, and then everything changes, and uh, they, 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 they have a discussion. Wheels come with, off with Holly, yeah, and Holly has a chance to talk to those guys, and then. 
they they weave in Big Walt and have the opportunity. Holly was actually he was there to present the True Blue Award to Susie Matthew. Great, and had a chance to. Uh, Holly stayed up there for the duration then, and he he was great. And Curbs actually said, "Now we'll turn the program over to Brett Hull," and <laughs> Hull took it from there. But then Holly was there with with Big Walt, and you had. Al McInnes and Chris Pronger on stage to participate and tell stories. It was just really a well-done event. And by the way, I think it's on Channel 4 tonight at 6.30. If you want to see a replay of the event, it's Channel 4 tonight at 6.30. That was Bernie Fedoko coming up. Uh, Matthew, do you need a fighter? Yeah. Okay. So we've got the fight coming up. And if you'd like to participate in the fight, you can text in 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. That number with your name and the word fight, and maybe Matthew will pick you to fight me here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. To the fight in the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Kelly. Welcome back to the opening drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Danny Mac, Randy Carriker, Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. Our fighter on this very foggy day is going to be Tom. Tom, how are you doing? Tom? Hello? Hello. Hey, Tom. Oh, there you go. I thought we lost you out there in the fog. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? We're doing good. Are you excited to take on Randy? I am. It's my first time. Ooh, first time, Dan. You have any advice for him? Uh, just pack a lunch, like they say in the <laughs> afternoon show, because Randy comes, you know, ready to play. And as we all know, he is mega mind. So good luck to you, though, Tom. I'm I'm hoping for the best for you. Thank you. Okay, there you, you betcha. All right. Question number one, Tom. Alex Petrangelo left the Blues just three points away from becoming the franchise's leading scorer as a defenseman. Who sits at number one? Is it Chris Pronger, Rob Ramage, or Al McGinnis? Al McGinnis. Question two. In which game of the 2009 NLDS did Matt Holliday drop the ball in left field? Was it game two, game three, or game four? Game four. Final answer? Yes. There are only three players in NFL history to hit 16,000 rushing yards. Emmett Walter and who else? Is it Adrian Peterson, Curtis Martin, or Frank Gore? Frank Gore. Final answer. Okay, question four. Larry Hughes one season with the Billikens. He led the team to a first-round victory in the NCAA tournament over which A-10 team? VCU, UMass, Rhode Island. Can I have those again? Was it VCU, UMass, or Rhode Island? Uh, Okay, complete guess, uh, VCU. Okay. All right, Tom, how are you feeling? Uh, Not great. No? Was was it nerves with the first time facing Randy or questions? (laughs) Yep, a little both. Tom, what do you do for a living? What keeps you busy? What allows you to listen to us here in the mornings? Oh, I'm just on my way to work. Uh, I do a desk job. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. Hey, say good morning to Randy Carricker. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. How you doing? 
Who am I I'm talking doing to? all right. Talking to Tom. Hi, Tom. Tom. Great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. All right. You ready for question number one, Randy? Ready. Okay. Alex Petrangelo left the Blues just three points away from becoming the franchise's leading scorer as a defenseman. Who sits at number one? I would have to believe that that would be Al McInnes, old chopper. Final answer, Randy? Uh, Yeah, I'll make that my final answer, sure. In which game (laughs) of the 2009 NLDS did Matt Holliday drop the ball in left field? Uh, let's see. Was that, uh, they, they had a chance to win. Was it the game they were eliminated? I will go with, uh, I'll go with game three, Dan. Final answer? Uh, final answer, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. <laughs> what did you say? I said final answer, yes, sir, but it was really final answer, yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's okay. okay. Anyways, there are only three players in NFL history to hit 16,000 rushing yards. Emmett, Walter, and who else? Number three all time now, I think Frank Gore might be the guy. Emmett, Walter, and I'm going to, Bettis was fifth. I don't think Curtis Martin got there. So I am going to go with uh, Frank Gore. In Larry Hughes, you remember him, Randy? Uh, he was, yeah, <laughs> he's, he, he's probably listening. Okay. Yeah. Larry Hughes, one season with the Billikens, mm-hmm. led the team to a first-round victory in the NCAA tournament Uh-oh. over which A-10 team? Uh, Dan, my Billiken memory is not that strong, and that was 25 years ago. So I am going to uh, utilize the lifeline, if I could, please. VCU? UMass, Rhode Island. I'm going to go with Rhode Island Rams. All right, final answer. Uh, yeah, final answer. Roll okay. the dice. Roll the dice. And UMass, let's see, at that time, was that Coach Cal? Uh, I don't know if he was there or not. Was that 98? I think it was 99. 99? Yeah. Uh, so I, I will go with uh, Rhode Island Rams, sir. Okay, Matthew. It's all up to you. <laughs> oh, I love it's it. I, I love it when it's all up to me. Uh, we have a tiebreaker, ladies and gentlemen. So okay. we got to go to a tiebreaker question. And the rules here are simple. We're going to read the question first. We will then give Randy a moment to write down his answer. Then Tom gets to say his answer audibly. Tom, do you understand those rules? Yes, I do. All right. Randy Carriker, do you have a piece of paper? I got a Lindenwood piece of paper. Yes, sir. This is one of those ones that seems kind of crazy, but I like this anyway, so I'm going okay. to read it. LeBron James holds the record for the most different NBA players played in his entire career, played against his entire career. Against? Against. He's, he holds the record for playing against the most NBA players in his career in NBA history. What percentage of all-time NBA players has LeBron faced in his career? Okay. Holds the record. What percentage of all-time active NBA players, not active NBA players, excuse me, all-time NBA players has LeBron faced in his career? Okay, let me, th- I'm, I'm going to put some thought into this. Hold on here one second. It almost um, sounds like a riddle. <laughs> That's what it does. <laughs> um, okay. What's going into your equation here, Randy? Uh, Math. I, I'm not going to say. I will tell okay. you. Okay. Right. Oh, you can't show the work until afterwards. Yeah. So right? again, we're, uh, your answer needs to be in percentage points. What percentage of all-time NBA players has LeBron faced in his career? Randy Carricker has his guess. Tom, what is your guess, sir? Oh boy, sixteen uh, percent. All right. 
Tom's guess was 16%. Randy Carricker, you're showing the cameras right now, the Air Alliance team cameras, but over the air, can you tell us? What is your guess? I said 20%, Matthew. All right. That's a close one. So is it Quick between math? 16 and 20? Is it over 20? Is it under 16? Which one is it? I got to do some quick math here. We have a winner in today's fight. Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. So one thing you got to factor in here with the tiebreaker is that rosters are bigger now. There are more players per NBA season than there were back in the day. LeBron James has faced off against 35% of all players in NBA history. So Randy Carricker, with 20, you were closer than Tom, and you win today's fight. 35%. It's an insane number. It is. And Dan, I was going with 20 years out of 75, roughly. So I went 20 out of 80 in the NBA, and that's why I went with uh, 20%. And that and it's good math. It's just that's why it skews yeah. so far to LeBron. Bigger rosters, more players every year get get, get rifled through the NBA than ever before. And let's go through the answers to the other questions. Alec Petrangelo left the Blues just three points shy away, shy. Yeah, excuse me, shy from becoming the franchise's leading scorer as a defenseman. He's at 450. Al McKinnis is at 452. In which game of the NL, 2009 NLDS did Matt Holiday drop the ball in left field? The Cardinals went on to lose 3-2 to two in Game 2 of the NLDS. They would then get swept in Game 3, a 5-1 loss. Joel Pinheiro on the bump for the Cardinals in that game. The only three players in NFL history to hit 16,000 rushing yards. It's Emmett Smith, it's Walter Payton, and it is, in fact, Frank Gore, who hit it exactly on the nose for 16,000. And in Larry Hughes' one season with the Billikens, he led the team to a first-round victory in the NCAA tournament over... Massachusetts, they then lost to Kentucky in the second round of that tournament. So a 2-2 tie for Randy Carricker and then a win in the tiebreaker. Tom, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show today. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, Tom. Good to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. There's a ton of stuff happening in the coaching carousel in the NFL and assistant coaching carousel, which is really interesting. We'll tell you about that next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome back to the Opening Drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Randy Carricker, Danny Mack, and Matthew Rocchio. And it is now time for our NFL news and notes. Now, this is just coming out, guys. Vic Fangio is going to be, according to Pro Football Talk, he's going to the Eagles as their defensive coordinator. He had parted ways yesterday with the Dolphins. He had actually been on track to be the Eagles defensive coordinator last year, but Jonathan Gannon wasn't assured of getting the job with the Cardinals yet. And he did, but by that time, Fangio was set up to become the defensive coordinator for Mike McDaniel in Miami. So Fangio goes to Philadelphia. I kind of thought that maybe Harbaugh would reach out to him because Fangio was Harbaugh's defensive coordinator with the 49ers, but obviously Fangio is going to join the uh, the Nick Sirianni staff in Philly, and he's one of the best in the league, so that's a good get for the Eagles. Well, I think the Eagles are trying to get things done in a hurry because, as you mentioned, just yesterday he leaves the Dolphins behind, and now he's going to the Eagles. We saw what happened with the Eagles, all the reports about things falling apart, especially defensively, seeing Mm -hmm. them just collapse in that manner. Bringing in Fangio seems like it just makes a lot of sense. You want to get him before the other teams do. Right. And my guess would be that the reason that he left Miami is because the Eagles went to his agent and said, hey, we want him. (laughs) And then uh, he's from Philly. So that's probably why it happened. Now, 
another logical move here would be for Fangio protege Brandon Staley, fired by the Chargers, to take over in Miami for his job. He, Staley, Staley followed Fangio all over the place. And my guess would be that he'll probably uh, wind up in the league, but perhaps with the, the Dolphins for 2024. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but finally, the breaking news coming out yesterday, Jim Harbaugh is going to the Chargers. I think everybody is not exactly surprised by that move. Now, guys, I think that he picked the smart but possibly easy way out. And when I say easy way out, I'm not trying to say anything against him, but we know about he could have stayed in Michigan to really build upon the title. He could have stayed and faced the mighty and scary NCAA and all the allegations. They're not really that scary. Instead, he chose himself and the path to the NFL. This just makes the most sense to me. I think so, yeah. I, I think that's uh, why even bother with that and the big thing is he's got an ego he wants to be one of those guys to win a college championship and he wants like his brother to win a super bowl championship and he wants a qb yeah mm-hmm. he's gonna have he's one, one through 2029 and they also have two of the top uh, picks of the in the top 37 picks including a top five pick so makes sense you can go there rebuild that thing fairly quickly mm-hmm. and, and get it on the right track what do you guys think that Justin Herbert can be? Because I feel like obviously it hasn't been good for the Chargers, especially here recently. And there's a lot of questions about his potential. What do you think he can be now that you have Harbaugh entering the equation? The records that he broke in his first three years in the league were all of Dan Marino's records. So I would say that, that he could be regarded as that guy. Uh, and hopefully he'll be able to get to a Super Bowl. Like Dan Marino did, but he never won one. Be uh, Maybe some... I, I would say looking at a coordinator trying to find more than just one year with a guy. Yep, that He's had his fourth coordinator in five years, and he did not get along, it seemed like. Wasn't in sync with Kellen Moore, so four coordinators in five years, it's a lot. Yeah. You would think mm-hmm. some stability would help that out, too. And that one thing you know about that team, if you know Jim Harbaugh's history, they're going to be rugged, they're going to be tough, yes. they're going to smack you in the face, and they're going to run the ball, and he'll be able to work off of play action. And whether it's Keenan Allen or somebody else, Quentin, Quentin, Quentin Johnson, who they drafted in the first round last year. Uh, one thing about our, uh, Justin Herbert, he can wing it. And if he has time, getting the ball down downfield to those guys will be amazing. And by the way, with that first pick that they have, they might be able to get a guy like Brock Bowers from Georgia, the tight end. Boy, would he be a uh, the fifth and the 37th. Yeah, so they could take him fifth. That, that would be a good spot for him. Now that Harbaugh is out of college football, and obviously Nick Saban has retired, who is the new face of college football now? I think that's a great question. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I would say Kirby Smart at Georgia mm-hmm. has a national, a couple national titles back to back. If you look at what he's done, his last three years, he's forty-two and two. And if you include the 2020 season, he's 50 and four. I mean, that is hard to do in the transfer portal era. And what he's done at Georgia is simply remarkable. So I would say he's the uh, he's the face of it now in terms of the coaches. I think so. I think it would have been Dabo. But the thing is, you could show most casual sports fans a picture of Harbaugh or Saban, mm-hmm. and they'd know who it is. Would they know who Kirby Smart or Dabo or... Eli is. I wonder if college football really has a face right now. What Lane, about, Lane uh, Kiffin? That, I, uh, I was just going to yeah. say Lane Kiffin yeah. would be a guy that you'd recognize just because he's he's a polarizing figure and yeah. you need good villains well, in sports and he's a villain. Okay, give, uh, I'll give you one. Yeah. Brian Kelly. He'd uh, be up there too. Everybody knows him from Notre Dame. That's where I was going with that. Got yep. some villain. Yeah. So. 
I can yeah. see that. The accent appearing out of yeah, nowhere. Right. But Lane Kiffin, I think, is a really good one. He almost, I think, could be the next Nick Saban when you're talking about personality-wise, where he has really embraced that villain role to the point where you kind of like it, right? Yeah. So Now, that's what is. Here's what should be. Okay. The face of college football should be Mike Gundy. Oh. Uh. I, the, mullet, the mullet of the college mullet is what sells him, yeah, for sure. And his press conference. I'm a man. I'm, I'm 40. 40. Never, and he's like 55 yeah. now. We've never forgotten it. I was thinking, like, is there anybody on the West Coast? I mean, for years you would have said Pete Carroll right. would have been the face of college football, the coaches, and the success that he had at USC. But there's really nobody on the West Coast that comes no. to mind. I think the closest thing would be Chip Kelly, and I, he's, and he's kind not. of yeah, kind of meh. I mean, yeah. He was ready to get fired at UCLA this right. year yeah. until they won their bowl game. Can yeah. Lanning can Lanning make that jump with Oregon? I mean, it's got he the could. it's got that you know yeah. it's got the money, it's got the prestige. He know, also to, appeared to the, on the, the national championship. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was behind the desk with those guys. Yeah, I think there's a chance that that could be one of those coaches that comes to mind. But I think you have to you have to win. You have to be like Carroll. You have mm-hmm. to win championships for a West Coast coach. Now, maybe it'll change with the Big Ten teams, USC, UCLA. Maybe Lincoln Riley will be more visible now. But it's really hard for a West Coast guy to to get that moniker. I agree. I think that Kirby Smart is now going to be the face just because that lane is clear for him and it was always him and Nick Saban's shadow. But Eli Drinkwitz, I think, is emerging, at least, as a more recognizable face. And if he does really well this season, he has the personality to match it. And he does TV, and ESPN loves him. He's great on TV. So So he's got a quip. Yeah, he does. Right. You know, <laughs> and yeah, they won't stop putting him on. He'll be, and he's a guest on Feinbaum's show, and Feinbaum likes having him on. So, and obviously the the joke about Connor Stallions on the selection show. He I think made a got lot of jokes about Michigan this yeah. year. Yeah, and and he does the Tennessee stuff. He's he's a guy that I think could very easily become one of the more visible people in college football. To Brooks' point, though, you got to win. And they should win a lot next year. So they're going to be front and center on a lot of the primetime games. Yeah. And that's the other part. Of, of where are you appearing on television? Are you getting a, the main SEC window? Are you on ABC on a Saturday night? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That, that helps, too. Huge. Last one for you guys in the NFL front. Obviously, a lot of people are waiting to see what happens with Debo Samuel. He was not out at practice yesterday. If he's not able to play this weekend, does it change your opinion of the 49ers and their chances against the Lions? What's the line on that game right now? It's like three. Or no, a six, I think. Okay. It's not going to change my opinion of the outcome, but it'll change my opinion of the spread. Here's one of the problems that your uh, Detroit St. Louis Lions are running into Uh, Niners, seven point favorite right now. The Detroit Lions, when they're playing at home or in a covered stadium, average 31 points a game. When the Detroit Lions play outdoors, they average 18 points a game. They average 13 more points a game playing indoors. And generally, you don't play teams with defenses as good as San Francisco's. So I'm thinking that this might be a 17-point output for the Lions. And I still think that San Francisco, even if they don't have Debo, will exceed 17 points. Is it a product, though, of the division you play in? So, for instance... You're playing at Chicago. You're playing at Green Bay. You know you're playing at some of the tougher, colder places in the in the league. So that I would just wonder if that's something that comes to mind at all for you. It but could I, be. I agree. I, indoor to outdoor is it's a factor. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it it, oh. it means something. Yeah, yeah, especially Brock Purdy. I mean him with. I mean 
the rain did not help him whatsoever. No. They still won, but that was a huge factor. I think it's supposed to be sunny there this weekend. Sunny in so. 74. Okay, so Beautiful. he should be fine. He yeah. should be completely fine. But I agree with you guys. I mean, with Debo Samuel, I did like in that game, of course, he got hurt in the first quarter with his shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. They still were able to win that game without him. But when you look at it, they are 8-9 when he doesn't play since drafting him in 2019 and 0-2 this season when he is not playing the entire game. Yeah, he's an X factor for sure. Although Juwan Jennings stepped up and they'll he get did. more out of Kittle. Ayuk is great. And you have the, the the other X factor in number 23. And you can run the ball on them. I think that's what San Francisco will try to do is just try to run the ball down the throats of the Lions. Text line is so right about this and uh, I forgot yes, it. But I know. The face of college football, he's got to win, but he's on everything. It's Deion Sanders. Well, that's true. Good point. That's a that's a great point. He'd be one of the guys that comes to mind for sure. Yeah, and, but I wonder if in the Big Twelve, with the amount of uh, visibility that there's going to be, if but he's on everything. He's uh, on yeah, the he is. commercials. He is. His kids are on commercials. Yeah. I don't know. But he's got to win. Yep, got to win. They finished in last in the Pac-12. That was not great. I was going to say, they they were doing pretty well at the beginning, and then towards the end there, Yikes. you didn't see as much from him. So it is all about winning. Speaking of winning, the Blues, guys, they won Ooh. last night in back-to-back games. Coming up, we are going to talk about that. The Blues are back, question mark? That's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're recapping the biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. Shen then takes it over the line. Kuzmenko stripped it on him. Here comes Patterson. Into the blue zone on Letty. Then Shen knocked it away. Letty's going to get it back. Skated ahead. Two on one with Shen. Letty in. Looking. Letty running out of room. Pedersen falls down in front of the neck. Blues get it to Shen. He scores! The St. Louis Blues win! Bring out the Zamboni! The captain buries the game winner for the Blues! 4-3 the final tonight in Vancouver! The Blues win by a score of 4-3. They had a 2-0 lead. They had a 3-1 lead. And the Vancouver Canucks coming into the game with the most points in the league were able to rally, tie the game, send it to overtime with a goal in the final minute. But you heard it there. Chris Kerber had the call. Braden Chen's game winner gives the Blues another victory on this trip after beating Calgary two nights ago. They beat Vancouver last night. They play Seattle tomorrow night. The Blues do. And at the moment, the Blues are 24 20 and 2 for 50 points in 46 games. They're only one point out of a wild card playoff spot. It's amazing how they just. They get close, and they, they they were in it for a while, and then they, they were five points back just two days ago, and now they're a point back of that last wild card spot. What is it telling you exactly about this team? Inconsistent. The, the whole league is inconsistent, though. <laughs> right. The only, that, the that only is consistent true. team yeah. is Edmonton. They win every night. You, you mentioned it earlier, Brooke. It was the 10th time this year the Blues had a chance to go four games over 500. Mm-hmm. They had gone 0-8-1 this year. Matter of fact, going back to last season, 0-11-1 to get to four games around 500. So going back to what Doug Armstrong said about this team, have a chance to fight for a playoff spot, could be in, could be out, paraphrasing here, but that's the key right now with the Blues, or that is who they are. They're in, they're out, but they're hanging around just enough. Hashtag LGB. But I like fun. what you said earlier, though, with I think it was with Bernie, but you said to the point of is this who the Blues are and 
basically thinking about where they're at, you know, it's just not going to be too high. It's not going to be too low. This mm-hmm. is where they're at. They, they yeah. could be a playoff team. Maybe, maybe not. But if you look right now, Nashville's that way. Nashville certainly, and they've won five of their last ten. They're five and five, five and zero. Oh. The Kings, as Bernie mentioned, they they're two five and three in their last ten. They've lost their last two games. Edmonton was the worst, well, second worst team in the conference when they made the coaching change. They've won fourteen straight, and now uh, they're in third place in their division. Arizona is on a roller coaster ride. Seattle, who the Blues play tomorrow, is on a roller coaster ride. There's really no. Of these teams, of the the middle group, the middle ten teams in the league, there's nobody that you say, okay, they're going to win, or you, or they're going to lose. And you also made the point where you look back at these two games, and maybe this five game stretch prior to the break, and say this was what either did them in mm-hmm. or kind of got them over the hump. And right now, it's getting them over the hump. Well, and it's also moments like this that you look to see which players rise and really step up. And I think Jake Neighbors has been such a nice surprise. Do you guys honestly think, But if you would have said by January 25th that Jake Neighbors would have 15 goals, he'd be second on the team, and he'd be right behind Robert Thomas, who's tops on the team, would you have said, no way, that's not going to happen? I would have thought that we were in real trouble. Yeah, major, really? major retool. Yeah, because yeah. you, I was thinking that Jordan Cairo would be a 40-goal scorer this year. There, yep. Yes. And yeah. if if Neighbors is second with 15 behind Thomas, I would have thought, man, they're, they're in real trouble. And it's not like they aren't in real trouble, but the scoring that I would have expected is not the way that it's playing out. It's a resilient team right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other part that I, I kind of like about what I'm seeing. They coughed up the lead, found a way to get the two points, and that's what desperate potentially uh, post-season, potential postseason teams do. They just find yeah. a way, and they're finding a way. Braden Shin, by the way, you know, another big night last night with uh, the goal, and, and it came late. The captain is now taking his game to another level. It was a matter of time before that happened. I think it was at one point he went, what, 12 or 13 games mm-hmm. without a, without uh, a point. So not only a point, no goals. He's starting to play better. And then Colton Pareko can't say enough about the way he's played. He's been outstanding. College basketball last night over at Chaffetz Arena. St. Louis University outscored 56-30 to in the second half. Davidson routed the Billikens 84-61. The Bills were up by three at halftime, lost by 23. Travis Ford took about 40 minutes to get out to his media availability. You kind of think when something like that is going on, you think, oh, maybe it's not going to be the coach that shows up. Maybe it's going to be the AD. But uh, it was the coach that showed up. But, man, they've got problems over there at St. Louis U. And uh, they have now lost... How many in a row? Four in a row? Five in a row? Well, they're it's eight, hard to keep eight, track. Eight and, eight and 11 overall, one yeah. win in the conference, one and yeah. five now. Not great. Nope. No. And when you're waiting around, because I saw, well, I saw the game a little bit last night. It looked like body language wise, what did you guys pick up from the players? Because to me, it almost looked like a defeated team. They did. And Travis did too. And when Travis, you know, he went, to his credit this time, he went and shook all the opponent's hands. But his shoulders were droopy. He, he didn't have great body language after the game either. It looked like a coach that. It was in his mind, searching for every type of answer to the questions that he has yeah. mm-hmm. and doesn't have an answer. No. When you give up 56 in the second half and you're a defensive-minded coach, you're thinking to yourself, what are we doing? What, yeah. what am I doing wrong? How do I get the most out of my team? Um, are we you know, are we going to get a, a sustained winning streak to kind of feel better about ourselves and get a little momentum? All those things are questions that he's facing as he wakes up this morning. Meanwhile, Illinois also lost the 10th-ranked Illini, falling to Northwestern 96-91. to <laughs> Yeah, I say Why that with a little... Why did you say that? Well, because Northwestern... Revenge North of the Nerds. They did they actually... Did they make an NCAA tournament? They've gone like yeah, since the did. 40s. They did. Under Collins. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. 
so that's that, why you just don't think of Northwestern as a powerhouse. If you're Illinois, I mean, you got to win it. It's like Vanderbilt, yeah, or Loyal of Chicago. There, there you go. Oh. You don't you don't lose in the NCAA tournament to Loyal of Chicago. They were pretty good though. They, they had were a nice great. little stretch there. But you're the Illini. They had magic, Randy. But they did have that lady. Yeah. Sister Jean. Sister Jean. Yeah, she's 104 now. She's still here. She's kicking. Yep. Going to the games and cheering on Loyola of Chicago. She's impressive. Couldn't there at least just be like one team? And Dan, I know this was your sick of it earlier, but I agree with you. Just at least one local college basketball team to do well. So you had something to root for this year. I I wish it was SLU. I'm a big SLU fan. And for whatever reason, talent, coaching, not enough on both ends. But it's just not good right now. Period. No. It's just not good enough. It's disappointing to watch. And uh, the other note from yesterday and last night, Jim Harbaugh, the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers of Irwindale. Inglewood. Inglewood. Ir- where? I want to say Carson every time you ask me, okay. but I know it's not It, it should have been. I was so, going to say it should have been. Back, <laughs> back in the day, back in the 90s, the Raiders were going to move to a place in Southern California called Irwindale. They had dug the the hole to build the stadium, and then it all fell apart. Al Davis had a bunch of these things that fell apart. But it was just a little tiny community that thought that they could build a stadium for the Raiders. But it obviously never worked out, and they wound up moving from L.A. back to Oakland. Irwindale, as of 2021, has a population of 1,435 people. And they were going to build a stadium, yeah. 1,400 people? Yeah. It is a city in the San Gabriel Valley of Los Angeles, California, and yeah, fourteen hundred people has pretty much been the uh, has been the population since two thousand. Oh, I'm looking at the slideshow of pictures that you have up there. They have a playground, so they have that mm-hmm. for the fourteen hundred. This people. is like this is like this is like saying that Kirkwood would would build a stadium, right? Exactly, but not not as nice as Kirkwood. Exactly. <laughs> I was looking back Dang, at Northwestern. Right. They're not as bad this year as maybe no. you'd anticipate. They're they're actually pretty good. Yeah. They beat Purdue, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. okay. We'll give them credit. It's all it's all just it's all just angles and geometry in, in, in basketball. It's a little bit easier than football for those guys. Okay. And uh, one other they're note they're pretty about, good in football this year yeah. too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Jim Harbaugh is going to bring his Michigan defensive coordinator Jesse Minter with him to the Chargers, and now they, we'll look at the offensive coordinator there too. And that is your Rush Hour Reset. It's 9-11. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up, Greg Amsinger weighed in on the baseball value of uh, Matt Carpenter on the Cardinals. We'll hear from Greg and give you our reaction next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If there was a team that would sit around and go, hey, do you think if we sign an old, on his last leg, DH, that the home crowd kind of digs? Uh, do you think we could hit lighting in the bottle? If there was an organization that threw that idea around, you better believe it'd be the St. Louis Cardinals after what they just witnessed with Albert Pools. Do I think he's going to have that kind of a season? I don't. But what's, what's wrong with trying it again? That's our friend Greg Amzinger this morning here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. I think the difference is, I don't think the Cardinal fans at this point are digging Matt Carpenter. Now, did they dig Albert Pools for the first half of the 2022 season? No, they didn't. They, 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 I think they, they did. When he wasn't hitting? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I still think they loved it. They, I, I just don't, and I loved the signing. I, I thought there was no downside to signing Albert. I think... With this signing, if managed correctly, there could be no downside. But 
if all of a sudden you get into a situation where Matt Carpenter's taking a bunch of at-bats for you, then there could be a significant downside. If if Matt Carpenter is Tom Lawless circa 1987, we're cool. Uh, 26 at-bats, a bat a, an at-bat a week. But if Matt Carpenter gets 400 at-bats for you, you got problems. Isn't that an, an indictment, not on Carpenter, but on other aspects of the club? Yes, yes totally. You, you know, so I don't put it all on him. He's the 26th man. He's yeah. making the minimum. And apparently there was a lack of leadership in that clubhouse a year ago. And those that were the leaders are saying, you know what? Enough's enough. It's all on me. I'm I'm willing to do some, but not all. And that's where he steps in and tries to help out this club. And that, guys, is why I don't look at this necessarily as strictly a baseball move. I don't think the Cardinals expect Matt Carpenter to be a great baseball player this year. But... They do expect him to be a leader that can hold younger players accountable and pick up some of the slack that Paul Goldschmidt doesn't need to deal with on a regular basis, and Nolan Arenado just might not be capable of providing. Well, you don't even have to guess that. They pretty much said that mm-hmm. in the press conference. John Moselock made it very clear that this is going to be a limited role, and that's what he wanted, right, with Matt Carpenter, is that he would be on the same page and be okay with not being an everyday player. He is just going to be the 26th man. Now, the counter-argument to this is, well, if you're bringing him in to be another voice, to be a clubhouse leader, to help the load of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado of really being the vocal leader. Why not just have him be a coach? I, I well, I let me go back to this. I don't look at this situation like uh, the Yachty final year or no. the Albert final year. This is a different animal. They're still trying to get something out of Carpenter, whether it's in the clubhouse or as a uh, a guy that to answer your question can still what they're hoping and i'm not sure this will be the case but give them a competitive at bat off the bench mm-hmm. to randy's point i don't think he's gonna be used very much unless he goes on a tear or unless burleson is completely ineffective or your your backup at catcher Ivan herrera is completely ineffective dylan carlson completely ineffective and then you're thrust into using him I just don't see him getting a ton of at-bats. I just don't see that's the way it's going to be. And as as far as him being a coach, well, he'd have to agree to really long hours, a lot less pay, and being away from his family. And at this point, I don't think he's ready to do that, and it seems like he still has an itch to play. And the coaches just don't spend a ton of time in the clubhouse. And I think that's where you really want to have him be a factor, is where he can be sitting in his stall and walk across, and if Mason Wynn needs a pick-me-up or if Yvonne Herrera needs a, a pat on the back, he can provide that. That's not something that coaches do. And those guys don't know Matt Carpenter as a player. The I, I don't think the leadership would resonate as much with young players that didn't ever play with him as it will if he's in the room with them. He's such a lightning rod with this whole situation. I I get it. But, man, I I think there's bigger issues with the club going into spring training than worrying Mm -hmm. about Matt Carpenter being the 26th man on your roster. 100% agree. 100% agree. And that's – Dan, I always go back to – and I've told you this story before. When I was doing post-game open line in 1985, and everybody's playing at an all-star level except for Daryl Porter. Coleman, all-star. McGee, all-star. Van Slyke and uh, Ford, all-star. And then the infield, Pendleton, Smith, Her, Her, uh, Her, Clark, all-star level. Starting pitching great. Bullpen great. 
What did what people want to talk about on the talk, talk show Porter. every night? They wanted to talk about Daryl Porter. Right. Uh, so that's what we focus on is the weak link, unfortunately. And I but think, you're right. There are other weaker, not weaker, as weak links for this ball no. club. And the way that it ended. Now, if Carpenter in his tenure in St. Louis would have ended on a high note and then just left as a free agent, mm-hmm. I don't think we're having this conversation. It was that he made that money, had a big contract, and the end of that contract was ugly. Really ugly. It was. And I think that this is going to be hopefully a non-factor. I think that maybe some of the reaction from fans is that they wanted to see more things possibly done this offseason and that it's more of that nostalgia thing that you're doing Mm -hmm. once again this season. But then also another factor is we saw a lot of worst case scenarios last year, including the usage of Taylor Motter, I think is something that just really just surprised a lot of people. What what just happened? Check my phone. Check your phone. Okay. I'm checking my phone. Okay. Check your phone. Yes. Did you get anything? Oh, Randy. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> it's him and Taylor Motter. Oh, I see it. My it guy. is. My this, guy. Is, this is Randy's favorite photo right do you, here. Do you know that individual? Taylor Motter. Yeah. No, no, no. The individual in your picture there? No. Is that him? That is yeah. him. That is Taylor Motter. Let me see Yeah, that. here you go. Yeah. Who do you think it is? Kid That's Rock? A professional baseball, <laughs> That's a professional Kid baseball Rock. player right there. Kid Rock. Rock. Come on. Taylor Motter is better looking than Kid Rock. Don't yeah, say is. that, Randy. Okay, sorry But do that. you think, while, while Dan that looks really this him? over, that yeah. is really him. Yeah, that that is. It's, oh. a, uh, yeah. it's a Make-A-Wish Foundation event last year. Oh, okay. I, I really like the jacket. And here, I'll show the YouTube so that they can get in on this picture action the as Cardinal well. The season? Yeah. No. The event? Oh. Pardon me? To the point about the roster construction right now. The people that are going to be battling for the last spot, the, the last infield spot, the backup infield spot, are Jose Fermin and Buddy Kennedy and uh, Jared Young. And they don't have to be household names. But now I wonder if with the addition of Carpenter, does Tommy Edmond all of a sudden factor in as the backup infielder, the backup middle infielder. If you lose a guy for... I think it's always that way. Yeah. Don't you? Mm-hmm. Just going yeah. in, it's like in the back pocket. If we right. need to, we could do this. Yeah. And I, you probably have Buddy the Elf as one of your infielders in Memphis, right? <laughs> and you could put Fermin down there. And then if somebody gets hurt and you love Tommy Edmond in center field, if somebody gets hurt in the fourth inning and you have to play Marp at second base for five innings and then you call somebody yeah. up for the next day, you're fine, mm-hmm. right? And you could always put Carlson in center and yeah. move Tommy Edmond yeah. and it's a stopgap <clears throat> very quickly and then make the adjustment after the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always think it's in your back pocket. I, I think they would refrain from doing that with Tommy Edmond as much as they can. It's only going to be an emergency mm-hmm. situation because I don't think they want to mess with what they did last year, moving Tommy Edmond to center and Brendan Donovan's got to go play the outfield. You don't want to do that. You want to stay consistent somewhat in your defensive alignment. But I look at this roster, if it, it plays out the way I think it will, and I don't. I see the only backup shortstop on the team being Tommy Edmond. So to get those four or five innings, mm-hmm. unless I'm going to move Donovan over and then maybe play Gorman at second base for a few innings, Donovan played short and he was fine. So he could do it for five innings too. But I would rather actually for five innings trying to win a game, I'd rather have Edmund at short than Brendan Donovan. And Edmund and Donovan at second than Gorman. If you're a winning team, Tommy Edmund is not a shortstop. No, no. But I mean, I'm just talking about for five innings when yeah. somebody gets hurt. When, yeah, if, sure. If Wynn gets hurt. Until you have Fermin or Buddy oh, Kennedy. Oh, sure. You could get away with that for yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. And and be fine. Yeah. And not, uh, unless the ball finds him like five times and he's making errors, mm-hmm. next day you're not even talking about it. 
Yeah. No. Just don't gloss you, over it. Don't you guys remember, though, last spring training that Tommy Edmond was going to be the shortstop? That was the conversation, and then it ended up being Paul DeYoung? Yeah, and Tyler O'Neill was going to be the center fielder. Oop. Well, there's a lot that, that happened. That didn't work there. out. No, no. it uh-uh. did not. That's two. A- I just have two follow-up questions for you guys. Tyler O'Neill's going to have a huge year. But yes, anyway, go I, right ahead. I agree with you. Yes. It just always seems to happen, yeah. right? It's so predictable. So two questions for you guys. So opening day here at Bush Stadium, home opener, mm-hmm. do you think that Matt Carpenter will be your DH? It's a good question. No I, I way. Don't, but I don't I, think that'll happen. I'm just saying, do you think no. it would happen? That would be horrible. No, because that means you've had serious injury issues. Although the nostalgia part of it, I could see it happening. No. I, that's what I think. Now, second, say it does happen. What is the response that he gets? Oh, from standing fans? O. He's going to get a bunch of those this year, I People think. People yes. will ask what the hell the Cardinals are doing. But I think the fans would say that it did theoretically happen. While it would be confusing maybe at first and surprising, I think the fans would still give him a standing Who's O. Who's not playing? It's not about that. I think no, it's it more is. about it's, the Are you trying to win? That's what it's about. Are you, if you play Carpenter, are you sitting Gorman so you can DH him? Are you sitting one of your? Are you sitting Newt Bar? Yeah, I'm Walker? with Randy. I don't think yeah. they go nostalgia with this. I think with Albert an opening day a couple years ago, different. That's a different deal. Yeah, I I don't look at it being nostalgia with Carpenter. I think he'll get his fair share of standing O's. Now, if he pinch hit in the game. I could see that I happening. I could see that more likely. Um, 0 for 13 last year as a pinch hitter. That's a oh. small sample size. Yeah. 177 career average as a pinch hitter. That's a large OPS. sample size. <laughs> yeah. That's a yeah. large. <laughs> How many walks, though? How many walks did he get? Uh, four. 17, 17 plate appearances, yeah. So 235 OPS, 235. So he's he's pinch hit a total of 17 times no, in his career. No, that was last year. Okay, last year. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can give you his career. Hold on here, one second here. Do, 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 do. While you're looking, I yes. agree with you guys. I think it's more likely that he'd be the pinch hitter, but it's a good question in the way of you could almost see it happening. Possibly. It's a good point, though, too, by Randy, is that if you're trying to win, you put your best lineup out there. Which, yeah, which you should. Opening day. I, I get it. Yeah. Nostalgia. It's all fun and games, but you're trying to win games, and games are at a premium. 187 career plate appearances for Matt Carpenter. 34 walks. Uh, 30, uh, 26 hits. 26 for 147 as a pinch hitter with a... An on base of 332, slug of 354, 685 OPS. Got to be a little better. But if you're only going to be used a couple of times a week or a spot yeah. start, you know, with some of the other intangibles that he brings, the Cardinals are hoping that that's a move and, and a bet that they want to make. Yeah. Uh, that is our look at uh, what Greg had to say, the the Greg list here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk about your red-hot St. Louis Blues with our friend Jeremy Rutherford, Blues insider from The Athletic, is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's it's time for the Rutherford Report with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor. One, two, three, four. Blues need a hype video right now. And this is the one they need to play next home game when they return uh, because we're all hyped with as red hot as the Blues are. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues beat writer from The Athletic, uh, is with us now on the Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Brooke, Dan, and Randy. And JR, are you having uh, visions of 2019 with the way things are going here? 
Yeah, you know, uh, I just looked it up, and on this same exact date, what is the date today? 25th. February 25th. <laughs> on the same exact date, I just looked it up, the Blues in 2019 were just one point out of the wild card, just like they are. I'm just joking, guys. Not really. <laughs> Jeremy, are you saying that there's a chance? <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm just playing with you guys. But uh, they are playing They are playing good, good hockey, and speaking of, playing with people i love uh, to give people trouble and i just did so with uh, rocchio when he called there uh, to set up uh, the interview here i answered like a tired robert thomas i said hello this is robert and <laughs> <I was thinking, laughs> thank you he called the wrong guy there <laughs> that was a, that was a great impression yeah we were surprised at first because he was supposed to talk today and then i think he realized how late that that game wrapped up so we'll talk to him tomorrow but jr just your impressions and takeaways from the game last night obviously a huge overtime winner for him yeah, well, I think the biggest thing, Brooke, is the way that the Blues are winning in terms of, let's look at that Capitals game. They uh, they dominated, checked every box. You know, I think uh, against Calgary, uh, you had to uh, you had to come back and you got the shorthanded goal from Braden Shen that was really pivotal. And then I think last night, look how many times they had to overcome a little bit of adversity. You had the disallowed goal, which, I mean, come on. I don't like to tweet about the refereeing, the officiating, just because you kind of look like a homer if you're – if you're rooting for the team that you cover. Uh, but I think that was a situation with that cross-check call on neighbors. I mean, come on, I've sat next to Ian Cole a million times at his locker, and he's not he's not taking exception to a little bump like that from neighbors. But the Blues came back from that, and then Suter gets a goal, 51 seconds left, and, and they come back from that. So I think that uh, their head is in the right place right now. What do you think the Blues do, JR, if they're hanging around like this near the trade deadline and they have some chips if they wanted to deal or they could add potentially if it made sense financially? I mean, we're not that far away. What do you, what do you think the Blues would do in that spot? Yeah, Dan, here's the way I see it. What do they got? 19 games, I think, before the trade deadline, which is March 8th, and right now you're one point out of, of, a, of a wild card spot. You know, I think that if things were going south, I think Doug Armstrong would sell off a few parts. And when I say sell, you're looking at a couple unrestricted free agents, maybe like a Marco Scandella. Do you get a middle-round draft pick? You know, I think the guys who have term on their contract, you know, could you trade them for the deadline? Sure. I think those are usually off-season deals. But let's look at, like, if the Blues are in this same position. Are they they're playing really well. Uh, I don't think that, that Doug Armstrong is going to do anything where he trades an asset or he, he trades a player that he still wants to be here you know, to, to make the team better and to push him over some sort of hump, to, to try to get him a couple rounds into the playoffs. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that if you get to the trade deadline and you're in good shape and you're playing decent hockey and it looks like you're in the wild card race, you know, yeah, maybe do you add a, a piece or two, nothing significant, but just to make sure that you're competitive and give yourself uh, the best chance to make the playoffs. JR, sometimes players surprise organizations. And last night, even though he didn't dent the scoreboard, another steady performance for Matt Kessel. Do you think that he surprised the Blues with his performance? I think so. Um, he surprised me for sure. I mean, a lot of times we talk about these young players in the Blues system, and Matt Kessel was not a guy that I referenced a lot. Um, you know, in part because they were so deep on defense, right? At the start of the year, they had eight guys, and you just didn't think of uh, Matt Kessel. But, you know, you trade uh, you trade a Robert Bortuzzo, and you're not playing Tyler Tucker, and all of a sudden Kessel steps in. You know, the one thing Doug Armstrong told us uh, a year or so ago, and he was talking about the draft. He said, we need to go into the draft and find guys who are top four 
defensemen because we don't have that in our system. And I think you look at Matt Kessel, and he's shown now. Um, so I don't think that Doug Armstrong's surprised, but I think that what Matt Kessel has done with his stretch play here, Randy, is he's proven that he can be a second-pair guy. And so I think uh, this is really bodes well for, for the Blues in terms of what he can do in the future. And in last night's game, the only defensemen that got more ice time than Kessel were Letty and Pareko. So that, that's pretty telling, too. More than Krug, more than Perunovic, more than Scandella. It really is. And how about Pareko and Letty? Holy smokes. I mean, last night, 25-plus uh, minutes again for Colton Pareko. This is back-to-back. You know, I, I don't want to say McKinnis pronger-esque because sometimes they were up near 30 minutes uh, but uh, this is just impressive what Colton Preco and now Nick Letty is, is uh, continuing to do Nick Letty in the Calgary game plus three uh, three assists 24 minutes of ice time uh, we're used to it a little bit more so with uh, Preco but in these last three wins what you can't overlook is what those guys have done in that top pair JR, you have an article right now out in The Athletic called Blues Fan Survey Results, GM Doug Armstrong's Approval Rating, Trade Deadline, and more. Was there any surprising results that you got from that survey? Well, just a couple. You know, I think that uh, at the time when Craig Ruby was fired, it seemed like everybody in St. Louis was uh, against it. And I think that when you look at that uh, survey, now I gave I gave fans an out because one of the options was remains to be seen. And I think a lot of people lean that way. I guess in hindsight, I'd be interested to go back. And if I just gave you a yes or no option, you know, what would it have come down to? But remains to be seen, I think, was the winning option there. Um, and then it was like 27% and 30% in terms of yes, no. Uh, but I think that uh, I think people have seen this team take off in a couple different areas, uh, especially the power play. And they're starting to win some more games and look like they're playing with more urgency. So I think people are starting to see that. And maybe that took off a little bit with Drew Bannister. I still think that the roster is a little bit flawed, and we all know that, and and teams go through that, and that's what the Blues are going through right now. So that was kind of one thing that stuck out. And then tied into that, Brooke, is uh, the job approval rating for Doug Armstrong. Uh, He got mostly fours when it it came to a uh, uh, one through five, five being full confidence in Doug Armstrong. He got a lot of fours. So people still really confident that he's the guy to – lead the team through this period. It seems from the outside looking in that Drew Bannister's done a pretty nice job with the team. Have you done any digging, though, on if the Blues are, are looking? Or are they going to stick with Drew Bannister? Or just where, where they stand right now on the coaching front? Yeah, Danny, I think it's still playing out in front of us. And one thing, you know, I know I've kind of been saying the same thing the past couple of weeks about Drew Bannister is as long as he has veterans' ear. And I know, you know, you repeat yourself. It's a little bit cliche. Look, two nights ago in Calgary – they go into the third period, and Drew Bannister had talked to them, obviously, in the second intermission, and he said, look, where is it at? Where is the urgency? Look where you guys are at in the standings, and, and look how they came out and played in the third period. So if you want to look at tangible evidence of this team you know, paying attention to Drew Bannister and following him, I think that was a, a perfect example of, uh, of what we have here in Drew Bannister and, and that this team is following him. So we all know what he can do with the young kids and develop talent, so on and so forth. Uh, but the fact that he can have a Braden Shen, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, these guys in his corner, I think, uh, you know, points in the direction that he could still be that guy, depending on what Doug Armstrong learns in these other conversations that he's having. JR, always great information from you. Thanks so much. We advise everybody to subscribe to The Athletic if they haven't already because of your superb work and your colleague, Katie Wu, who covers the Cardinals and all the great stuff at The Athletic. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. 
All right, you guys too. Appreciate it. Thanks. See you. That's our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with a little edition of Rock and Roll. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. We'll get to rock and roll in one moment, but uh, wanted to play something for you just because we miss it. And uh, we, we think that everybody needs this in America on this January 25th, 2024. This is what America needs. You know, to stop at the uh, Exxon and get a chicken on a stick, and it was fantastic. And I hope that cook is still there and I can stop and say hello to her. Go Tigers. <laughs> Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Doesn't it sound like that could possibly be Patrick Mahomes like 20 years oh, yeah. if he somehow decided to become a chain smoker too? Say, yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a little yeah. bit more depth to that voice. But I mean, We had a good chance to get to Kelsey and we tried and that's a, it just that's, didn't work out. That's a shockingly good Mahomes impression, yeah. Danny Mac. It's a hard impression. It's like you gotta, you gotta again, you gotta combine like a, a smoker with Kermit the Frog. That's yeah. a tricky one. Did you guys see that uh, Mahomes said that the best Mahomes impersonation is done by Andy Reid, but Andy Reid wouldn't do it on TV. No. Really? Yeah. I've got to hear this. Somebody's uh, got to get a mic- a mic'd up for that one. I, I hope so. Now, here's another thing. Exxon Station, Chicken on a Stick. I think we're missing both of those in the region. But just Chicken on a Stick. If, if, if there's a spot for Chicken on a Stick, I'd like to know. You uh, can get that at, at like a lot of different places. I feel like chicken on a stick. Chicken on a stick. Go Tigers. Would you uh, order it that way, Randy? Would you go in and <laughs> chicken on a stick? Go some, uh, chicken somebody's, on there a stick. To, somebody's there to help you. How can yeah. I help you, sir? Yeah. Chicken on a stick. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Can you play it again? Do we still have it? Oh uh, yeah, of course. Listen to this. You know, to stop at the uh, Exxon and get a chicken on a stick, and it was fantastic. And I hope that cook is still there, and I can stop and say hello to her. So do you think that that person <laughs> had as funny. kind of a life career goal was to be a longtime cook at an Exxon station <laughs> making chicken on a stick? You never know, but probably not. Mm-hmm. No, but the fact that he remembers is what matters. Oh, and he's a lovely guy. So you could get chicken on a stick at somewhere where they serve Japanese food. Yakitori, mm-hmm. you could get that. Have you guys seen that? Where it's typically an appetizer. I don't think this is the same as the Exxon station. You never it's a know. Different. <laughs> you never know. You can get fried chicken at gas stations. I mean, you can That's get whatever what you want. That's what I'm talking about, bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can also get sushi at gas stations, but I'm not going to say it's the same thing. Might be. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Delicious food at grocery stores all the so time. Mark and spent gas some stations. time in in Japan. Gas station sushi sushi in Japan acceptable? Do you know? Yes, I think sushi anywhere in Japan okay, is cool. a, a little all bit right. better yeah. than maybe what you get here. Okay, just I figured that would be Japanese? the case. I cannot speak it that well. I used to when I was younger, but not not that well. How about it hello? is very tough. Hello. Don't make me say anything in Japanese, okay. please. No. Okay. I was Luckily, I had a lot of help. And then in, when you're in Tokyo, that's where I was at. A lot of people there speak English, and so they were super helpful with that. So I, to me, it's one of the hardest languages to learn. I think it is. That and Russian seem to be the hardest languages I, to I learn. I took Russian for Did four you really? years. Yeah. 
I got to page 39 in four years. <laughs> I just, and the thing is, yeah. yeah, and the thing is I could speak some, but it's the way that you enunciate. That's something I could never exactly nail down. Yeah. How, much of, how much of the Cyrillic alphabet did you, did you have down? Oh, I, so me and my buddy Larry Baden, who's a professor over at uh, Webster, uh, we were in junior high and the start of high school together, and we really didn't work hard at Russian. We played like the, the triangle football most of the time, okay. you know, where you get half the ball over the edge and it's, it's a touchdown. But we did both have, so uh, Miss Homolka and Mr. Danishevsky were our teachers. I think we kind of wore Miss Homolka out, <laughs> so she didn't want to be our teacher anymore. Uh, and we both got lots of, our moms got uh, calls at home. But yeah, I, I, well, the book was very thick, Matthew. So I'm guessing that I didn't have much of the alphabet down when I got to page 39 in four years. I ha- yeah, I have a story, a quick one. And my parents are going to hate that I told this story, but it's something that's true. And then, I'm sorry, I'll get you back to rock and roll. But in middle school, so in Tennessee, Nissan started, started to come over to Tennessee. And so then you had some people from Japan starting to come over. And I'll never forget... They knew that I came from Japanese ancestry, and my grandmother, who's from Japan, actually was living with us at the time. They didn't have a translator for one of the girls that came from Japan because of Nissan, and they were like, Brooke, here, you go you go help her. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. They had me in middle school be like helping her translate. It was I'm sure she was traumatized by that because I didn't even know what I was doing then. I was not, I was not good at getting it down. Uh, this entire segment, I've had like an earworm. I'm like, there's. I feel like I've heard chicken on a stick in like ads before in St. Louis. Fast and Eddie's. That, that, and you oh, got it and the textures yeah, finally hit go. it. Thank yep, you. There we go. That's yeah. where Good it was call. in my head. Good I call. couldn't. That was going to bother me. Thank you to the textures for yeah. getting that one out. Thank you to Danny Mack. Well Thank done. You. Good. Alright, so now let's get to the segment. The, the real well, meaning and the meat of this segment, t- Rock and Roll. Today was sick of <laughs> the it. The chicken on the stick. And the, <laughs> as, as you pointed out, Randy, the uh, inspiration for sick of it was Bradley Beal's wife not being too happy with what was going on with the Washington Wizards. I thought it was interesting and on Sick of It Day that the night before, after a rough game for the Billikens, that there was also kind of a Twitter Sick of It unofficially from another prominent St. Louis basketball player. And that was Larry Hughes last night after the slew game, and I thought this was an interesting back and forth on Twitter, which was, pressure makes diamonds or burst pipes. We on the wrong side. Somebody asked him, just curious if your thoughts on forward have changed. His response, I'd like him to coach us to a few more wins. I'm watching the games and it's not pretty at all. Probably not what you want to see after a game if you're the Slew Billikens, but nonetheless, it felt like a little bit of a sick of it from Mr. Hughes, and I can't blame him. Well, and I think that that is very politically correct exactly. on the part yeah. of Larry Hughes. I think he handled it exceptionally well. Especially with his kid in mm-hmm. the program. Yeah, right. So, you, you know, that's you get into parents starting to meddle into programs and brothers and sisters, family members. That can be ugly. Yeah. It gets passionate. It can be ugly. And uh, and people pay attention to that stuff. Larry Hughes says something about SLU, they're going to listen. Yeah. They're going to pay attention. And the fact that, that this is popping up. As a coach, you never want to have this stuff pop Good up around point. your program. That's right. No. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say I agree. I think that Larry Hughes, he does a really good job of handling those situations mm-hmm. because he also coaches himself yeah. and works with a lot of young athletes. Yeah, absolutely, but I, but I think there's there was some frustration after last night's game, oh. and I can't blame people. No. Uh, let's let's talk about something positive, which is uh, Jason and Travis Kelsey put out a new episode of their New Heights podcast, and I, w- I was listening for this because I wanted to see if we would get a breakdown of of how that game with the Chiefs and the Bills went down. And my favorite part here was when uh, Travis kind of asked Jason about some specifics about his plan in the booth that night. There was not enough cameras on the suite where you could see Kylie, though. I wanted to see her reaction to all of this so bad. I'm not going to lie. I gave Kylie a heads up. The moment we got into the suite, I said, 
I'm taking my shirt off and I'm jumping out of that suite. And she said, Jason, right. don't you dare. I was like, hey, it's letting you know what's happening. I'm not asking for permission. I'm doing this. Once a Kelsey man's determined, there's no f- stopping him. And she was already telling me to be on my best behavior because we were meeting Taylor. This is hilarious. I was like, Kylie, when I met you, the first day I met you, I was blacked out drunk and fell asleep at the bar. <laughs> this is part of the charm. This is part of the Jason Kelsey charm. I want to make my best first impression. This is my best chance. My best first impression is the worst impression ever. So I, I can just build Set from that, that point. Nice oh, yeah, exactly. It was already amazing, but getting a hundred percent confirmation that that was the first time that Jason Kelsey met Taylor Swift, and the fact that later on, like at, at some point in that game, Brittany Mahomes was hugging Taylor Swift, and just in the background, you just see Jason drinking a beer with his shirt still off, just a foot away from the most popular person potentially on planet Earth. The first time he'd ever met her, I love everything about it. I love Jason Kelsey. The fact that he was like, I have a plan, and even though my wife's going to hate this, I have a plan. Never back down. Do not ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. Only in America. Spoken like a guy that's not married. You're darn right. Uh, yeah. Spoken <laughs> like a guy who's going to get a lot of trouble when yes. he's married. Yes, there you go. I, Jason Kelsey is a national treasure yes. at yeah. this point. The way that he matched just the Bills' in- energy, because Bills Mafia that is a tough breed of fans out there. And I felt like he matched their energy. And it was just so entertaining to watch. Yeah, I don't. I'm looking at next year and Brady going to Fox. How does Jason Kelsey not wind up on a number one team if he wants to be? He's got to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instant offense. Yeah. He's, he's, he's great. He's great. And he obviously understands the game. He's a really smart guy. He's fun. So I, Future Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's, he's a guy that to me. Has to be doing big time. Maybe Maybe he's better served in a studio. I don't know. But you can't put a tie on him. I thought the best no. part of what he did is he grabbed a young yes, fan who had you. a sign for Taylor Swift and grabbed the, it was a little girl, grabbed her, held her up high so that Taylor Swift could see the sign and be recognized. I thought that was just yeah. awesome. Yeah, that, that was, was great. so cute. I think, well, and you were worried about him wearing a suit and tie. Is that even something that they even care about anymore? You have Pat McAfee who has like his cut off sleeves. But I'm basically. talking about on a Sunday pregame show. Oh, Sunday pregame. Well, yeah. Pat McAfee still doesn't get that dressed up for some of the stuff that yeah. he does. That's true. So maybe maybe we can change that. I feel like you just let it fly. Yeah. Let the personality fly. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is that Jason's talked a lot of times about how he's the complete opposite of Travis and that Jason hates wearing nice clothes. Uh-huh. And so like when he goes to a game, Jason Kelsey will walk into a game in sweatpants, flip-flops, and a t-shirt. No, like zero Richard. designer anything, not wearing a shirt and tie, nothing. So yeah, I don't know how he's going to work trying to stick him in a booth with a shirt and tie on. I don't, I, I just don't think it's going to work. Yeah, make him a radio guy. Let him do the storytelling yeah. thing. I, I love Jason Kelsey. He's the best. I hope he doesn't retire, by the way. I, I hope he actually does play another year. But if he doesn't, just give us more Jason Kelsey in the media. It's fantastic. Great job today by our producer, audio video engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. Wearing your uh, Bussin' with the Boys cap? Bussin' with the Boys. Another podcast I like with Taylor Wan and Will Compton. Yeah, they're great. Will Compton from Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? Uh, Daniel. Yes. Thanks for giving us a yo-ho. Oh, you're welcome. There'll Good. be another one tomorrow. Good. How Yay. you doing? You, you yes. happy camper? You enjoy Absolutely. it? Oh, I love it. Okay. okay. We just pounded. Yeah, let's do another. There, there, we, go. Go. there we go. That's better. Hey, we couple thank you unathletic for... guys trying to do yeah, high fives. Yeah, not really good. Uh, we, we, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. We've got a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax coming up for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. Have a great Friday Eve, everyone. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.